I feel like I should get excited for episode number 50. I mean, it's 50, right? Yeah. Should I get excited for episode number 50? It's a milestone. But it's not really a milestone because with all the patron episodes, we've kind of done 70 or 75 of these things. Yeah. So is it really a milestone that we got to episode number 50? If you would ask me before we started the whole podcast experience, how many are you going to do? How many do you figure you'll ever do? I probably would have said 50 or more. I, I would have taken the over on 50. I don't know that I would say we're going to get to 100. I don't know that I'd still say we're going to get to 100. But for now, we're at episode 50 and still kind of moseying along, getting ready for football season. That's and right. once you get to football season, you're kind of safe, I think, for the next like five or six months. Just because football is more fun to watch? Well, <laughs> because I think people are more on. interested. We'll look at the numbers and we'll see the audience. And I think yep. people are more interested to listen during football season. That's not what this was intended to do. This was supposed to be an all an all year round project. Yeah. And I thought when people were clamoring, Mitch, do a podcast. Mitch, do it. For those two years that they were like pounding their 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 fists on a table. Yeah. I thought they wanted. I, I never heard them say, "Mitch, do a podcast during football season." Mitch, do a do a podcast <laughs> yeah. during football. Season. I never heard that part of it, so I'm uh, I'm a little I'm a little leery with the the. I, I thought it was a year a year round. Pro- I happen to enjoy the non football season probably more because it allows me to kind of you can branch out a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. do these things yeah. that we've been doing. Football, you got to kind of dial into what's going on. And all you know, talk about all the current stuff. We're gonna we're gonna do something like that. On this episode number 50, right? Something like that? We're going to do something different. We're going to... Yes, we are. We're going to change. And this was your idea or you got this idea from somebody... Totally my idea. Just came right out of the blue. You're driving down the road in your Charger. (laughs) Challenger, how dare you? Challenger. (laughs) You're you're driving down (laughs) the road in your Challenger. You're late to something. Always. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You've told somebody you're going to be there a quarter past the hour and and you're... It's now 45 and you're... you're, Someplace I don't want to be anyway. I'm in the neighborhood now. I always give you that though. Oh, that's good. That's you know. Get, but are you really in the neighborhood at the time? As soon as I turn in, I don't I'm think there. So. I think you're pre-sending that text. Just I was to make the, me feel better. I was actually in the shower when I sent that. <laughs> <laughs> at home. All right. So you're driving down the road, yep. and you decide what. Well, people know you as a very good interviewer. We've talked about it. it. You're a great interviewer. You are. So I thought, has anyone ever interviewed Mitch? I wonder. I was just yeah. kind of curious yeah. if you ever been interviewed. Yeah. And you have or haven't. Well, yeah, I have over the years. But like on a radio show, I mean, I guess when you go on to I talk was on about- the BJ Shea show not too long, the BJ Shea morning show experience That's not right. too long ago. Get it right. Did you hear that? I did hear that, actually. Okay, so I was kind of interviewed there. Yeah, it's, it's And during, during the radio years, every once in a while, somebody would want to interview me, not very often. I can say this, and maybe this is, we should save this for the ground rules because there are no ground rules in an interview. Never ground rules in an interview. I have been asked to do many interviews in the last two years. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, I have been invited on TV. I have been invited on print, Seattle Times, newspapers, national types, The Athletic. A lot of different people have reached out and offered to do an interview. And we as a family decided that after we did episode one, which was really hard for me and us... And after all that my wife and my two boys have been through in the last two years, we just decided, and it's probably hurt the podcast if I'm being very, very straightforward with you. We just decided as a family, no more. Uh, we're not going to go there anymore. Episode one speaks for itself. If anybody wants to hear what was going on in Mitch's world yeah. and what happened, episode one is there. 
but you know the kids are 17 and about to be 14 and my wife has endured a lot and so we've just decided and we've had opportunities because there's been opportunities to promote the podcast it's been hard yeah. it's been hard to say no sure you to a lot a of whole new I mean, audience well, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i mean we, we're trying to get the word out on the podcast yeah. and to say no to people who are willing to promote the podcast by doing the interview has been very difficult to do sure challenging to do but family we as a first. family unit yeah. have just decided so I, one one quick thing on that yeah i was thinking a lot about how we may discuss that on this interview and you gave me no guidelines right you never said hey i don't really want to do this i don't you know you gave me nothing no rules you gave me no rules no ground rules but my thought was and it's i'm glad to hear you say it was i don't know if you and i would do better than you did on episode one if we rehash everything well, we're right? not going to do better and this i'm sorry to tell it to you this way because i, I wasn't I, looking because i'm telling you right now this is what i'm going to say i am not not I'm not prepared to go back there. I'm, I'm just going to say, listen, listen to episode <laughs> I my one. And so some people would say, Mitch, well, there's your ground rule. No, it's not a ground no. rule. You can ask me anything you want. Right, right. Certain things I'm not going to answer. Yeah. I mean, there there are certain things that any interviewee, if I asked them, right. would not answer. That's right. I'll be polite. I won't punch you in the nose like fish. <laughs> oh, man. I won't. I won't punch you in the and nose. Once it swells I'll up, tell stories, and I'll yeah. and I'll and I'll. I'll take in any questions that you ask, but there's certain questions in particular the last two years yeah. that I'm telling you right now that we as a family have just decided that we're not we're not going there. Listen to episode one. Even if you would have said, yeah, we can talk about whatever you want. That, that's totally fine. I, I still don't think I would have done it. I still would have really? just- I think I would have pointed- Oh, they're going to call you a pussy. Well, that's what I was worried about. <laughs> like, well, you have an, an hour with Mitch and you don't ask about that, but right. I don't think we would do better than episode one. It was very raw and very real and very emotional. And I, th I just, I don't know if it's worth rehashing. I know I do sound like it's a cop-out, but- It is a, kind of a cop-out. Do you think it You've is You've already though? failed your first- do you really think it's a cop out? Like, if, if you were open to talking about it, that that it'd be worth bringing up it during this. You want my honest opinion? Yes. If I were open to talk about it, yeah. Yes, you should be talking about. It. You should be asking because there's different oh, angles and there's I'm different things than you're going that home. you should be curious about <laughs> that you should be asking on behalf of the listener. Yeah. Oh, I think that there would be a million different ways that you could come at it that were different than episode one. But I'm telling you, <laughs> good advice. Thank I'm you. I'm telling you right now. Here's here's what I said. So you're. So episode 50, we're in the tease section. Oh, good. Okay. We're going to start by opening up the show. We're going to start do, we're going to do the story. There's been a couple of big stories, one in particular that you and I have to talk about. And I have an interview with Ross Tucker. I don't know if you would know who Ross NFL? Tucker is. Yeah. Yes, I know He Ross went Tucker. to Princeton. He played in the NFL, I think, for seven or nine years. Offensive lineman. It's a really Packers, smart guy. Maybe? Was huh? it Packers? Did he play for the Packers? No, I don't think he ever right. played for the Packers. So right. stop that. But I know. Stop, stop <laughs> trying. Man, I was ahead for a second. And, and stop killing the vibe <laughs> oh, and stepping all over I am. Uh, I, so he's going to come on. He's really well-spoken, a lot brighter than I am. And he's going to come on to talk about the Jaron Reed thing, which I want to talk to you about, give my thoughts, get okay. your thoughts on. The, there's the Earl Thomas thing. So we've got Ross Tucker on this show also about 15 or 16 minutes about whether the NFL should have suspended Jaron Reed. What about just the whole inconsistency yeah. of what Roger Goodell is doing with the personal conduct policy? That will be featured on this episode 50. Great. And then the rest of the segments are real. We'll do our opening segment. We'll do this tease. We'll do that Ross Tucker. And then the rest of the segments, the Me. floor is yours. I'm taking over I'm, I'm Scott Unfiltered. I'm going to put a pillow behind my back. Yeah, I was going to lean back. I'm going to field all the questions. Look at these chairs. They look so comfortable. Let's try. Let's practice. You want me practice. to go to a chair? Try one. 
that you wouldn't ask, that you're, that's not on your list. Just ask me a question. I want to practice, warm up before we start. Go ahead. Hey, hold on. Let me. Okay, I'm, I'm leaning back. Go ahead. Ask me a question that's not on your list. That's well, I just got, as a practice, a, like a warm up pitch in the bullpen. All right. So when you were no uh, comment. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm ready. All right, good. By the way, are we doing that? Are we going to do the Fakakta name the episode thing? Because I have two great fifties. Well, I got. There's a lot of great. 50s. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'd be just too jumped in my head. Yeah, we're gonna. I, we'll start it off with I, that. I, I try not to look it. Started yet? Oh, yeah. We haven't started. We're still in the tease. Well, section. you were teasing everything, but you didn't tease that. So it's very oh, important to me that we do it. Yeah. All right. It is. I like it. I think it's fun. Okay. Uh, have you done what you promised you would do the last time you sat before me? Not the last time, but if I think I know what you're talking about. Have you clicked on yes. every episode as you promised? As a matter, unfiltered. Matter of fact, I did. It's better than work. What else am I going to do? How long, honestly, did it take you to go play, 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 play 45 know. times? Uh, 60 seconds or something? Oh, a little bit more. Two that. minutes? I don't Maybe know. Maybe two minutes. It, it didn't okay. take long. For people who want to know why I asked to do that, it's pretty simple. We get credit every time a listener says play, even if he doesn't listen or she doesn't listen for more than a 10 seconds yep. or five seconds. Every time you hit play on your podcast app, we get credit. And if you would like this this enterprise to continue more than the 50 that we've already done we could use your help yep we could use you you can you can subscribe you can listen and rate on apple i was reading the other day by the way i'd never done this before oh there's comments people who listen to it on apple podcasts not only rate one through five stars so on itunes you mean yeah they call it they call it apple Podcasts gotcha. okay now. it's not itunes it. anymore Look i don't at you think. all techie and smart yeah, I'm, a, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm right there <laughs> uh God. They they let they allow you to write comments. I didn't realize there's like thousands of comments. Thousands, thousands. Wow. Like upwards of a thousand or two thousand comments, and I started reading a bunch of them. Any good? They were so nice. Oh, that's great. That's good to hear. They were like so super nice. So be careful when you start interviewing me. I'm gonna be careful when I go read them. I don't want to know no, hear you about. You shouldn't this. read them before you interview. Them, <laughs> yeah, I don't. It might, it might uh, slant your questions. Well, I don't want to hear about me sucking the air out of the room. And by the oh, way, I would do God. anything. You are getting hammered today. I would do you? anything for air in this room. <laughs> <laughs> How could I possibly suck it out of this sauna? Good lord! All right, maybe that's the problem. I'm sucking the cool air out. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, rate and post a message. MitchUnfiltered.com. You can listen to all the podcasts on MitchUnfiltered.com. You can even buy merchandise. People are buying their Mitch Unfiltered merchandise. Follow us on Facebook. The Facebook page is getting a little bit of momentum now. Great. I'm starting to post things and yeah. videos and say things to the... I mean, I want to be able to speak to those that are over 95. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Your mom will love it, right? I mean, it turns out Facebook's a big platform, though. You can. It you is know, still. Are you kidding me? Facebook? Yes. Mark Zuckerberg? It's a, it's a monster. It is. Yes, still. What's nice about Facebook is when I start feeling bad about not knowing what moshing is, mm -hmm. I go to Facebook and nobody on Facebook knows what moshing is. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I used to work with a bunch of 25-year-olds and none of them had a Facebook. When They're I start like, to eh. feel like I should be playing video games <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm missing out, I go to Facebook and nobody's playing video games. Those are your people. Yeah, right those there. are my people. Yep. Makes me feel... <laughs> you know, you can put fill in the blank from there. Yes. Uh, okay, so episode 50, Ross Tucker and Hotshot Scott. Yes. Ted Koppel, a.k.a. they call him Ted Koppel, is going to interview me like I'm on. <laughs> Ted Koppel. I'm on, uh, what was it called? 2020. No, it wasn't 2020. What was Ted Koppel? Nightline. 2020 was this, Hugh Downs. I'm Ted Koppel, and this is Nightline. See, I was a 2020 guy. 
2020 was early in the evening. Nightline, Nightline was at 11.30 on ABC. How do you not know that? I know, I was, my parents watched it. I, it was always 2020. I'm okay. Hugh Downs. You can't pretend to be my age in certain oh, cases. Oh, I don't pretend. And then the not color. be my... <laughs> <laughs> I don't pretend. <laughs> you're close. You're only, you're, aren't you 45 years old? 46? 45, yes. How do you not know what Nightline with Ted... Co- I would like... My favorite know. part was because it, it really... It really kind of connected with me. I always went too long on segments, and you remember this with T-Man. And you. I'm running the board for you, for God's sakes. Ted Koppel used to do this thing. He was on from 1130 to 12. And I think it started with, I can't remember which Iran, the the hostage. I think it was the Iran hostage. Okay. Way back when they, they started this show, and then it just went on forever and ever. And he was supposed to be on for 30 minutes, and inevitably, every night, Every other night, he'd be on with a guest via satellite on the big screen, yeah, yeah. you know, and he'd get to 12 and he'd say, I'd like to alert our stations. We're going overtime. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'd like to alert all of our local stations. We're going overtime tonight. Yes. <laughs> and somebody back at controls of these local stations like, okay, Ted, when are you not going overtime? <laughs> right. I, mean, I just want to go home. It's 12 o'clock and Ted's always going overtime. Right. Uh, episode number 50. So this special episode 50 of Mitch Unfiltered with this curious interview of me is sponsored by the Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage. More and more families are taking this opportunity to save money on a refinance of their home. Jordan Flowers Guild Mortgage Group is waiting to save you money every month with three of the top 1% brokers in the United States. The Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage, 425 250-3150. Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest. I spent the weekend at Pebble Beach with listener Caleb Sampson and his guest, all because of the extreme generosity of Tyler Hay and his team, the presenting sponsor of the Unfiltered Majors Contest. Check out what Tyler and his crew do at evergreengolfcall.com. That's evergreen, G-A-V-E-K-A-L, Com. Zeke's Pizza with 17 locations across the Pacific Northwest from Bothell down to Tacoma. Zeke's is truly a Northwest tradition. They offer a delivery service through Zeke'sPizza.com. And as you've heard me say repeatedly, a great place to watch sports while enjoying some pizza and craft beer. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. And Daniel's Broiler with four all-time locations, each providing subtly different ambiances, but the same world-class service and the best stakes anywhere leshy marina south lake union atop bellevue place and the newest jewel downtown at the brand new hyatt regency there's no place like daniels for special occasions here we go i'm nervous episode 50 starts now unfiltered i believe the nfl had to suspend jaron reed i don't know about the six games I don't know. This is not a guy who's a repeat offender that I know of when it comes to domestic violence. I know that he had some other issues at Alabama, but six games seems to be pretty harsh for someone who was not arrested and not charged. Now, he probably should have been arrested by Washington law. If you go if you go into that and I'll I'll let that alone, if you go into the to, to what Washington state law is. So. My opinion, my unfiltered opinion is Jaron Reed, if he did what the police report says he did, 
I think that there should have been consequences. I don't know that six games wasn't too much. Unfiltered. After his career is over, he'll come to his senses and not be as angry with the Seattle Seahawks as he seems to be now. Because, you know, we're going to we're gonna want to put him in the ring of honor. He may be a Hall of Famer. There's going to be the Seahawks in 10 or 12 years are going to do are going to want to have a great relationship with Earl Thomas being that he was such a great player here and he won a Super Bowl and he was such a core part of the the Legion of Boom. So I think it's sad that Earl has such hostility towards Pete Carroll, but I'm hopeful that time heals at least the wounds enough to allow the Seahawks and Earl Thomas to have a decent relationship once he's finished playing. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 50, I'll bet you some of your guys, some of your 50s are on my list. It could be episode KJ Wright. It could be episode Freddie Young. Do you remember Fred Young? With two Ds. Seattle Seahawks. Fred line- with, with two Ds, Fred Young. I think so, yeah. You See, you remember to- that, but oh, you don't know yeah. Nightline. You remember Fred Young, oh, boy, do but I. you don't know Nightline. You know, they were supposed to have the linebacker crew for the next five years. It was Fred Young, Brian Bosworth, you stop and Dave Wyman. They were gonna, must- heads were going to roll. What is it about you and Brian it's Bosworth? My favorite college player ever. The only two-time Buckus Award winner. Well, <laughs> 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 Now, had he not gotten hurt, I think he would have been a good linebacker. He just couldn't stay healthy. What did you like so much about him in college? Because he was a free spirit, or did you like the way well, he played? I mean, he's 13. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm 13 when he comes to the Seahawks. He's like every 13-year-old boy's dream. Yes, he's just the anti-everything. Okay. I loved it. Okay. Rebellious. Talked, it up, talked a lot, but then backed it up. Remember when he hit Elway, knocked him, and then pointed in his face? Things started out great. He just couldn't stay healthy. Okay. And what did Bo Jackson do? I uh, had a good angle on him. <laughs> yeah, just a good angle. Episode KJ Wright. Episode Fred Young. Episode the big fella, Todd McCullough, wore 50 at the University of Washington. When you said big fella, always I always had feet, feet problems. Like, he always had yeah, a foot problem. Some kind of weird feet thing. Yeah. Nice yeah. guy. Do you know what he... You loves know, pinball. Oh, you see? see? You beat me I'm a sports park. dork. You know that, he's, that he loves pinball, yep. but you don't know Nightline. That's true, yes. Okay. Episode Irvin... Johnson of the Sonics fame. HIV negative. That's what Todd, that's what your boy Rob Tepper called yes, him. Yes, that's right. I thought everyone did. Sorry. No, no, no. Just you uh, and Rob Tepper. Okay. <laughs> Irvin Johnson out of the University of New Orleans. He Wouldn't was the first that. round draft choice. He wore number 50. I, I remember him starting a lot of games and then George Carl would pull him in like five minutes and you'd never see him again. Like, why even bother starting him? I don't even think he lasted him? five minutes. John Thompson used to do that. He used to have a guy go in there, jump center, and then the first possession, he's out for the rest of the game. Why? It's so weird. <laughs> Poor guy. Uh, episode... Jaime Moyer, Jamie ah, Moyer. Good one. Or 50. So we've got that. K.J. Wright, Fred Young, Todd McCullough, Irvin Johnson, Jamie Moyer. Those are the local yokels. Yeah. And then we've got two huge ones. They're probably the ones I'm thinking of. Got to be. Yeah. And I'm having trouble. So I'm going to maybe, since you're doing the interview today, maybe you're going to, at the end of the show, going to have to do this. You've got episode David Robinson, the Admiral. It's one of number mine. Number 50. Yep who was just a great guy, a great player, a great ambassador to the NBA, one of the best 50 players of all time. And you've got episode Mike Singletary. That's my other one. One of the great linebackers ever to play in the NFL. And when you start asking, and I thought about this before you arrived 45 minutes late, 
I I started thinking about that didn't go unnoticed. Dave, Dave, David Robinson to the NBA, like the the old analogies on on the SATs. Did you take the SATs? I did not. That was for like smart kids. So no, I did not. What are you talking about? It was for smart. Everybody took the SATs. I no? did not take them. Did you take an ACT? No. Did you take anything? Uh, is that the thing that helps to keep burglars <laughs> out of your house? What's the ACT? <laughs> I have that <laughs> little sign in the yard. No. Oh <laughs> no, yeah. I didn't take anything. Okay. I come well, from a long they, line they, of dipshits. I don't know. What do you want, <laughs> what do you want from me? <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so on on SATs, they used to. I don't even know if they do anymore. I should ask Max. He just took them. But there used to be an analogy section. Glove is to hand as bad as to ball, as this as to this. The, yeah. and you had to pick the one that was the correct analogy. I was thinking about the analogy, and I know people don't like this part of the show, so we'll hurry through it. David Robinson to the NBA. David Robinson, the Admiral's kind of impact on the NBA versus Mike Singletary's impact on the NFL. That is a tough call. That's close, yeah. It's really close. I think we have to dive into numbers to figure that out. But but you don't really get numbers with a linebacker. We can do numbers all day long with David Robinson. Yeah. The rebounds, the, the points per game, the scoring... He, he, I think he won some scoring titles. I remember him scoring MVP, like 80 said. at the last game of the year to get yeah. his average. Dream team he was on, don't wow. forget. Yeah, he I was, don't know. He, he sort of transcended that center position. Guys that tall weren't supposed to move that quickly. Lefty, as I recall. Had the muscle to go with it. Oh, he was just a strong. He was, yeah. The admiral, Beast. David Robinson. But then there were the eyes right. of Mike Singleton. On the best, he was the quarterback of the best defense of all time. Except for one night. All right, fair enough. <laughs> I knew that was coming. December 2nd, 1985. I sat in You were my, there? No. Oh, okay. I sat in my dorm. This is a true story. Well, maybe this will get, get into the interview All right, segment. yeah, yeah, yeah. A true, true story. I was a freshman at Syracuse. I went home for Thanksgiving break and played in a, in a reunion basketball, like a, a high school basketball reunion game. Sure. And everyone's home from break, everyone's so everyone's around. Break, yeah. So I think it was the the class of 85, my class, against the class of 84, or the 85, 84. We went and we played this this reunion game. Okay. And I tried to block a guy shot from behind on a fast break in a reunion game and went up to try to block it from behind on a fast break, and my feet got caught with his feet, and I went into the wall, and I shattered my right oh, wrist. Geez. This would have been like November 30th, 1985. Okay. Shad. Now think about shattering your writing wrist yeah. your freshman year in college. I they had to they had to rebreak it and set it, and I had to cast up to here beyond my elbow on my, and then I had to go back to Syracuse my freshman year yeah. in the middle of my first semester with 15 uh, credits. I, yeah, there, there's no voice to text apps back then. No <laughs> voice to text. No yeah. computers. Right. You got to no better. computers. You, you wrote notes in those days. Sure. There's another. And I had to get incompletes, and it was just a mess my first year. But when I went back, I went back on a Sunday. The next night, I sat there in my dorm room, look at, and they had my 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 uh, my wrist set like this. This is not good for podcasts. Like radio. a cobra, like a cobra. <laughs> yeah. And I sat there in my dorm room, December second, nineteen eighty-five, and watched probably the most memorable and exciting for me regular season football game or any any game. As a fan, the most exciting regular season game. It doesn't 
you know, me and my dad being at the Syracuse NCAA championship game beats everything. But you just answered one of reg- my questions. Ago. Regular season game, December. Yeah. I think it was December second, nineteen eighty five. I watched the whole game. I remember it. It was Monday Night Football. God, they were undefeated. Yep. They were undefeated. And it makes it better in retrospect because they went on to just destroy New England, and they were literally one of the best teams well, of all time. Right? Well, what you forget, you wouldn't know because you. you so Miami beats them on that Monday night, which was the highest rated Monday night game. And it stayed the highest rated forever and ever. It was a huge game, huge night. Marino diced them up. Was that it great defense? Was it Lorenzo Hampton? Was that the running back? He might have been on that team, Lorenzo Hampton. Okay. They, he threw to Nat Moore a couple times, Mark Clayton, Mark Duper. He just diced that great Bears but defense. One up. of the running backs had a great game, if I remember correctly. Probably Tony Nathan. Well, maybe it Tony wasn't Tony Nathan. No, it wasn't. Number 22. No, it wasn't. Oh, see, really? look at me. Yeah, see? Could have been Lorenzo Hampton. I think it might have been. They just, they just beat him up. Yeah, they, they beat just him up beat pretty him. good. Yeah. And they go the rest of the year and they finish like. I don't know. Well, the Bears finished fifteen and one. Mm-hmm. I think the Dolphins finished something like twelve and four. They go all the way to the AFC Championship game. The championship game is in Miami. There are two touchdown favorite over the Patriots who come down. My my roommate from college walks off the plane. I invited him to the game. He was a Patriots fan. He walks off the plane with a shirt that says "Squish the Fish." I'll never forget it. <laughs> Squish the Fish. God. And yeah. I sit with him in the Orange Bowl. Mm-hmm. And they proceed to get upset in the AFC Championship game by like Tony Eason and the Patriots, who went, who went on to get slaughtered by a billion by the Bears when the fridge scored and everything. The game that no one ever saw that ever, yeah. the world wanted was the they almost w- got the rematch of the Monday night game. It would have happened in New Orleans. Amazing. It would have been the Bears defense against Marino. The whole it, it probably would stand the test of time as one of the greatest. Highest rated Super Bowls yeah. of all time. It's but funny. I don't it's remember the game that, that at never all. happened. Yeah, if you would have said, who did the Patriots beat that year to get there? I'd have oh. no clue. Squish the fish. That is funny. And by the way, I think it might have been Steve Grogan had to start instead of Easton. I think Easton might have been well, hurt. Well, no? one of them was hurt and one of them came in. Yeah. And one of them came back and one of them, yeah. I just remember Easton Grogan. Grogan. I remember Grogan <laughs> bouncing off the turf like all day long. He had long. a neck that was yeah, like I know. And then he wore the neck roll, I think, too, to make That's it worse. Before we get to the two interviews, the one big interview is you interviewing me mm-hmm. and you have all the time that you need I do want to I do want to touch on something that we're going to do in the next segment with Ross Tucker which is the big story we got to get it in here yeah that's the Jaron Reed suspension Jaron Reed 20 months ago in a Bellevue apartment or house got into it apparently with a significant other somebody that he had had a relationship with that was from the east coast that was here visiting and 20 months later something happened that night police were called there were no arrests made. There were no charges filed. 20 months later, as they get ready for training camp, a, a defense that already has tons of question marks in my mind, we hear from the NFL that Jaron Reed has been suspended for that incident, that he wasn't arrested and wasn't charged for six games. Now, this comes a week after Tyreek Hill and his checkered past they decide they're going to look the other way on what happened to his son, broken arm, yeah. three-year-old. It's the, unclear. The threatening voicemails. All threatening that. voicemail. Yeah. The commissioner's office is going to turn away from that. And and I think what that's what's happened is it's led to a lot of outrage and a lot of screaming and yelling nationally and locally about them being inconsistent, that Roger Goodell is inconsistent. Very. And my my thoughts are pretty clear on this, and they're probably not very... Uh, popular in the Northwest because of the tire. If you pick the, first of all, let's just, let's do away with the Tyreek Hill thing. 
they they investigated at the NFL and decided that they have no real clear evidence proof that he broke the kid's arm. However, is the recording enough? Is the recording of him clearly threatening the mother of his kids, physically threatening the mother of his kids where he's on tape, is that enough when you consider what his history is and the problems he's had in the past? Is that enough to absolutely suspend? My answer to that, I don't know where you stand on that, is yes a thousand times. And I'm not saying 10 games, 6 games. I don't know how much. Yeah. And I think that's probably the big the big problem that I have with all of this because it seems very arbitrary whether it's 2, 4, 6 or whatever. I do think Tyree Kill, just on the basis of that audio tape alone, should have been suspended by the commissioner's office. I never know how any of that works because I remember during the OJ trial, there was there was voicemails or video or audio tape of him saying in the background, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill you, and it was admissible. They couldn't use it in court. But to me, like kind of what you're thinking, that sounds like, that sounds pretty damning to me, right? Yes. So how can that not be you? And I never know how that well, works. Well, this is not court. No, I this understand. Is, I understand this is but... the NFL's court, which right. is another issue. They, yeah. just, they have their own court system. <laughs> yeah, right. It doesn't matter what the municipality <laughs> says. If, if, and I, and I'm okay with that. I, I'm not okay with everything that they get, all the power they give Roger Goodell. I am okay with the fact that the NFL is allowed to investigate something that wasn't charged and, and wasn't, a, there was no arrest in Jaron yeah. Reed. And if they decide, hey, that man, whether, whether King County and Bellevue, Washington decide to look for charges against that man or not, we have concluded that that man physically on some level attacked a woman. That's not okay with us. I don't care what King County says. Yeah, I don't care yeah. about you. He's not playing. And he's an employee of ours, and he's, we have the right to And it gives us a bad name, and this yeah. is, this is a, a terrible time in the world right now for that type of behavior, and we're just not going to accept it, and we've seen enough evidence to say he shouldn't play. I don't have any problem with that. And I'm going to go one step further. When I read the police report, and this is a little bit of a dicey situation, I said it on episode 49P with wheels. You're going to hear me say it with Ross Tucker. I'm going to say it to you. And I'm not going to go very much further. The police report is out there for everybody to read what happened on that night, according to police and witnesses when they got there. A police report is just a bunch of witnesses. That's right. And what they say. It's not necessarily the truth. It's just what witnesses say. Police reports can be, trust me when I tell you, erroneous. There can be mistakes that are very damaging to the people that are involved. Sure, yeah. the, and I know that from firsthand experience. So is the police report exactly right? I don't know. Here's what I'm willing to say. Read the police report. If you read the police report, there were two instances of physical contact between Jaron Reed and this woman. The first one, he guides her by the neck to the bathroom to, to talk to her. She claims that he didn't strangle her. It didn't hurt. She could breathe. It was just to, to, to force her into the bathroom to talk to her, okay? Pretty damning. Those are her words, though. Those are her words. Yeah. I don't know. The second part of it is, is, to me, goes over the line. He, According to the police report, if it's true, he dragged her, and there were marks on her, some bruises or some scrapes. He dragged her off a of bed to the, to the stairs because he wanted her to leave. He didn't drag her down the stairs, but he did pull her forcibly pull her from the bed to the stairs if that happened I, I look i love jaron reed i'm a huge seahawks fan but if that happened and and i hope that uh, you know he's got he's got his head on straight and everything's going to be good in the future 
if I were the commissioner of the NFL, regardless of what happened in King County, I would suspend Jaron Reed. I, I think he deserved to be suspended. There should have been consequences based on what the police report. And and they probably went over these 20 min- months and talked to her and talked to people who were there, and they're satisfied in the NFL offices that that happened, that that second right. physical confrontation happened, and that's enough. Now, how do you decide how long now? The arbitrary part is the t- that's the tough one. I don't right. know. I don't know how you do it. Do they have some sort of system or scale? or We don't know because it's not transparent and they don't tell us. A grab around the neck is one game. A pull don't, is don't, one game. Don't, don't know. Don't know. Uh, they have decided it's enough for six games. They've seen and heard enough that it's six games. I, that seemed, especially for someone in Jaron Reed's case who I don't believe has any kind of past when it comes to domestic violence. I think he might have a DUI, but he does. I don't think he has. He might have a personal conduct policy infraction okay. in DUI, but I don't think he's got domestic violence in his background. Six games is a lot. And so the next question is, what does it do to the Seahawks? I think this is a really hard this is going to be a very big obstacle for them to get over because I don't think much of their defense to begin with. This now we're getting into a football related right. conversation. Yeah, yeah. I'll give you my unfiltered view. I'm I'm worried about that defense before I heard about this suspension. Before, I'm worried. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They 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 allowed 5 yards a carry. They were one of the worst run defenses in the National Football League last year. They lost Frank Clark. They've added Ziggy Ansah, who's may not going to may not play at the beginning of the year. Their best run stuffer, even though he had 10 and a half sacks, the, the reason that they drafted Jaron Reed out of Alabama when they drafted him is because he was the best run-stuffing defensive tackle in the national in, in the draft coming out that year. He's built perfectly for it, if you've seen he, him. He's supposed to be a great run-stopper, and even with him, they averaged opponents averaged five yards a carry, which was one of the worst in the NFL. I think this is significant, let alone now throw on top of it the 10 and a half sacks that's out of the lineup for six games. Frank Clark's eleven or twelve sacks out of the lineup for 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 the rest of the, for the whole year. Uh, Ziggy Ansah, if he doesn't play, his explosiveness. They did get uh, they just get the, uh, this kid Collier in the draft. I don't know what he's going to bring. I think the Seahawks defense was in trouble before this news. I think that the Seahawks defense is in big trouble after this news. Do we think the Seahawks were in a position to make a playoff run with with him? I mean, is yeah. this? So this could potentially What's a playoff run. Be involved in the playoff in the, race? Yeah, in the last couple of weeks. Yes. You, you don't have to be very good to be in the playoff race in the last couple of weeks in the NFL. But this defense you said looks it's going to look pretty bad yeah, or going to have their troubles. Anybody here's my view on that. Anybody that has the, the quarterback is like the heavyweight boxer who's the challenger with the big right hand. Joe Hip <laughs> Right? Someone like that? <laughs> no, okay. Sure. All right, sorry. He's like the big heavyweight you know, Muhammad Ali would face these big Ernie Shavers types of guys back in the day. Ken Norton. And what, Ken Norton. And what they would say about those guys is they've got a shot. Not a great shot, but they always have a shot because they've got the big right hand. Is that where a in puncher's NFL, chance comes from? Huh? A puncher's chance. A puncher's is that where that comes from? That's where it comes All from. Right. So I believe you have a quarterback like Russell Wilson, and they've got enough other things. Look, to be in the playoff race with two weeks to go, you need to be, or with three weeks to go, you need to be six and seven, six and seven and six. You got to be a five hundred team. Yeah. If you're That's a five hundred right. yeah. team with three or four weeks to go, you're in the pennant. You're in the race, pennant race, baseball. <laughs> um, so I believe without, I, I believe that without before this 
deal, they could make a playoff run. I don't know if they get in the playoffs, but they could make a playoff run. Well, that's, I, this I, is a, just as an absolute terrible situation for the Seahawks. I think a terrible. They went out and they signed Earl Mitchell, who I whom I know from his Dolphins days, 49ers days, pretty good. He's a big big guy. They'll put him in there. He'll play a lot in the first few games of the regular season. I'm worried. I am real worried. I'm worried about this defense, and I'm worried about the wide receivers. Defense, wide receivers, defense, wide receivers, wide receivers, defense. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm worried about going into training camp. So the reason I ask is this could potentially cost them the playoffs, right? I mean, is it that significant? Well, if you told me, okay, they're going to go three and three in those six games, and they would have gone four and two without him or with him. I'd take three and three. Could the one game cost them the playoffs? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that we'll get to January 1 and go back and say, God, they missed it by one game. Remember when Jaron Reed was suspended for six games? That was it. They could have won that Bengals game, or they could have won that Saints game, whatever game it is. I'll remember. <laughs> I'll remember. <laughs> we can't get to the quarterback, and we lose. You know, I'll remember. Uh, all right, and then the other thing for this segment, before we get to the interview with Ross Tucker and your interview of me, which I'm, I'm sweating. I'm feeling like oh, Richard boy. Milhouse Nixon before he was uh, interviewed. Schwitzen. Yeah, the, the the sweat underneath the nose, uh, the sweat on the brow. Is it really Milhouse? That's his middle name. Yeah, Richard Milhouse. Oh, Nixon. I had no idea. Okay. Yeah, I went as a uh, as like a fifth grader. I went as Richard Milhouse Nixon. We had the mask, and I I had a suit on, and I I don't know, I'm not a crook. You know, I, I went Remember to those... school. We had a little parade, a little. Maybe oh yeah, it was sixth grade, maybe third grade. As a third grader, I was Richard Milhouse Nixon. Those little plastic masks that yeah. got hot and sweaty. With the and... Big nose. It had a huge. Even my nose didn't even <laughs> fill this thing out. Uh, you sure? love the schnoz jokes. <laughs> schnoz jokes is an easy target. Yes, it is. Do you want to talk about Earl Thomas's middle finger that he doesn't regret? Yes, I do. Do we want to talk about that before we get to Ross Tucker in your interview of me? Yes. Earl Thomas says, I don't regret it. I only regret it is if my teammates thought it was to them. Yeah. If, if my teammates didn't think it was to them and Pete Carroll knows it was to him, then I don't regret it at all because he lied to me. He wasn't fair. The Seahawks weren't fair. I broke my leg. And I don't, I don't take it back. This is after signing what a fifty-five million dollar deal. This is like after <laughs> after making fifty or sixty million with the Seahawks. This is after winning Super Bowls here and being treated like royalty for a long time. Yes, he was. He's still very salty, leading us to believe that there's still. And he says he never spoke a word to Pete Carroll from the moment that he broke his leg on that day. The rest of the season rehab, never said one word to Pete Carroll. I would tell him get in line if you're looking for you know Pete Carroll to you know, people who Pete Carroll has lied to. I'm, I I love the guy, but come on. How did he lie? Tell me how he lied. I wasn't there, but I'm sure he probably told him, "Hey, we really love you. We want you back. We're going to sign you to a big That's deal." That's what he says they yeah, did. Of course, yeah. but it's a business. I mean, just Pete. We all love Pete Carroll, but well, I hope Pete Carroll didn't say that because well, it was pretty obvious to everybody except for Earl Thomas. <laughs> yeah that the Seahawks had decided to go in a different direction. I, I guess... Pete has to say that, though. What's he going to say? you got to keep the morale up. It's what he does. He's Mr. Morale. I guess this brings back, hot shot, a real bitch of mine, a real pet peeve of mine. And it's a li it's not as it's not as high on my pet peeve list as I could care less instead oh, of I couldn't care less. That's, that's probably one. number one. Okay. <laughs> so this doesn't approach that. It's the whole... It's the whole NFL players thing... Where they believe it's the obli it's the obligation of the team to give them a new contract with one year to go on their current deal. That's really what this is all about. And we see examples of it at we're seeing examples of it right now. Melvin Gordon, 
the running back in San Diego, not it or in LA now. Yeah. Not coming to camp. He's got a year left, wants a new deal. Everybody everybody wants a new deal. And a lot of people get new deals with one year left. And and the Seahawks have given out. But this whole entitlement, it just drives me absolutely effing bonkers. Yeah. Okay. Just, I mean, this you're... entitlement that no, if you if if you're if you don't give me a new contract with one year to go, you have offended me. You have been disrespectful to me as a player, yeah. and you're in the wrong. I, I, wh- when did that start? Who? Do, somewhere along the line, that started. That every player is entitled to it. Look, they have a different system in the NFL. We know that. We know that guys get hurt. We know that there are guaranteed contract. There are not guaranteed contracts in the NFL, and they're guaranteed in NBA. It should and be it's a big thing. Flip flop. M- maybe, maybe yeah. not. But what do the what do the players get in exchange for not getting guaranteed guaranteed contracts that the NBA guys don't get, and Major League Baseball players don't get? Something happens for NFL players that does not happen in any other major professional uh, uh, organization or league because the the contracts are not guaranteed and the Teams can cut them at any time. What do they get? Well, signing bonus? Correct. They get upfront money. Yeah. They get tons and tons. And t- Kawhi Leonard, when he signs his four-year, $140 million deal with the Clippers, he's going to get one-fourth of that at the, the first year, <laughs> one-fourth of that in the second year. Now, it's going to be a lot, and he's guaranteed it. When Russell Wilson signs a hundred-and-something-million-dollar contract, $200 million contract, he might get 50 or 60, 40, 50 right up front. Money that starts earning interest, that's guaranteed, that can't be asked to come back. That's what the player gets. And in exchange for that, and this was negotiated, this is a labor agreement between players and owners. In exchange for that, they give the teams the opportunity, if they want, to play out a contract or to cut them in the middle of the contract. That's the exchange. That was negotiated a million years ago between the players and the owners. Yeah. Players get $50 million to sign, $30 million to sign, $15 million to sign. They get two, three years worth of money to sign. It goes in the bank. It's a check. It starts earning interest right away. That's what they get. Teams get the opportunity to cut you yeah. or, God forbid, <laughs> to say to Earl Thomas, you signed a five-year deal. We'd like you to play the fifth year of the contract without a. And you know what? They decided as I don't think there's any question except for Earl Thomas's mind. They decided as an organization they were done with Earl Thomas after last year. Yeah. Okay, so what do you do? You've got an all and and let's go through this for a second. They decided that Earl Thomas was a great player. They knew that he was a great player, still a great player, but they decided as an as a unit, Pete Carroll and John Schneider, that it wasn't in the long term best interest based on where the Seahawks were as an organization in terms of Super Bowls and where they were with Bobby Wagner and where they were with Russell Wilson. They decided before the final year of Earl Thomas's contract, great, great, great player, but if we sign him beyond this next contract, we're not going to be in our best. It's, it's well within their right to have that opinion. Look, And by the way, I love... I love bagging on Pete Carroll. I just can't hear. I, I, I would love to give you the other side to this. Yeah. I love bashing Pete Carroll and John <laughs> Schneider, but I can't hear. So they decided with one year left in the contract that they gave him a lot of upfront money to sign, that they wanted to use his services, his Pro Bowl caliber services the fifth year, but they didn't want him after that. So what are they to do? Are, are, they, are they to say, are they 
Do they, they don't want him after that, but they want him for the fifth year of a contract that he agreed to five years ago. Yeah, you just assume he's going to come to work every day and do the job There's that you're paying him for. Pre- and by the way, they're paying him a lot of money for that <laughs> right. fifth year. Yeah. And also, by the way, he's entitled, even though I wouldn't, I wouldn't like it, he's entitled to say, you know what, I'm not going to play. I'm not going to play. I'm not showing up. I don't want the money. I'm not going to get the oh, money, and I'm not going to play. That. <laughs> They'll never take, take some, a pass on the money. Some have, very few, but yeah. he's entitled to say that. He didn't say that. He said by his actions, all right, I'll play for the five million or six or eight, whatever it was for that year, I'll play, and I'll risk injury, and I'll go do that. And when he gets hurt, it's very easy for him to get mad at the Seahawks. But in this case, the Seahawks never did one stitch of things wrong. They, did, they just decided as an organization – we love you, Earl, yep. but it doesn't make sense for us to sign you beyond this year, so we want you to play for the year. And and by the way, had he played... It also, obviously, disaster struck for him, but it really wasn't disaster because he signed a huge contract right. in Baltimore. He should be thinking his but, lucky stars with a broken leg. He could, he could have played a great season, yep. played a great season, not gotten hurt, and then made even more money or, right. or been a free agent and walked away for nothing, that would have been within his power, and they would have said nothing nasty to him as real. I, I just, I just bristle. I know this was too long of an explanation. No, no, it's, it's, I just there is a bristle over this. Somewhere along the line, it became the obligation of teams, NFL teams, to give more money to players before their contract. They, they have to extend before they play the final year of the contract. And I don't know where that started, but I hate it. When's an appropriate time to start negotiating for another contract then? If, if Right not- then. Right then. Okay. It's appropriate to negotiate, but if the team decides we don't want you beyond this year, then there's nothing, well, nothing wrong not, with that. Not, yeah, nothing you can do. That's I not guess, disrespectful. Yeah. I mean, look at it. It's a business. It's not disrespectful. Totally it's, a business. Hey, we want to <laughs> let you go somewhere else for as much money as you can get on the yeah. open market, and we can't. Because there's a salary cap. We want to spend that money on a number of different positions for us in the future. Yeah. Thank you for your service. Yeah. Oh, I don't, have any, I don't have any problems with doing a deal with one year left. But if the team doesn't want to, it's <laughs> not like they just spit in your face. They just spit in your face. Yeah, it's not that. No. And But I think if Earl was here, he would say, well, you weren't there when Pete Carroll kept telling me how much he loved me and how much you want me And back. if that happened, and, I can't speak to that. Right. I can't either. But if he... He clearly he thinks Pete lied to him. So I, I could I could see Pete. I mean, it's Pete's job. You're in my future. We want you here, kid. We're gonna get it done. Oh, all that stuff. Pete's got all the lines. He's the master of. Listen Pete. to you. How do you know all this? Has he said some of these things to you? Uh, You're you, my guy. Did you? <laughs> you know, I actually. It's funny when I was working at KJR. Quick story. I it's, uh, gas got asked to. Uh, be the MC at one of his book signings or like introduce him at a Pete Carroll book signing. Oh, really? Before he had even coached a game for the Seahawks. Oh, no wonder he chose Gas. Gas, <laughs> Gas didn't want to do it. He was like, he was busy or something. It was nothing personal. He wow. just, he couldn't do it. So he was like, Gosh. hey, do you want to go do this? And I was like, yeah, sure. A couple bucks. I'll do it. There they were, pay you? They did pay me. Yeah. There was probably 30 people there and they're all in USC stuff because he hadn't coached a <laughs> game yet. So I go up there and I have some jokes. I, you know, I'm trying to make, and it's just crickets. I'm just dying. Really? Oh, I'm dying. Well, that's not surprising. I'm dying yeah. up there. I was trying yeah. to make jokes. Were you stepping on people and not oh, letting yeah. the words? Let, not, let, what was the guy saying today? Uh, you won't. You don't let the, my words sit, or you, you're stepping on me. Were you doing that? Hold on, I'm letting your words sit. Hang on a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the, my point is, Pete Carroll was heckling me from behind. 
He was like, oh, tough crowd. He was like heckling me back there. But I I sat with him in a room because we were like, there was like one green room. Yeah. And he was just on his phone this whole time playing a game, just like hyper, playing some kind of game. (laughs) Didn't talk to me. Didn't say anything. It was just kind of a weird thing. But he seems like a guy that has all the lines. He knows it. I mean, clearly he knows how to get people to play. And he was probably telling her, oh, we love you. Yeah, Yeah. for a while. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, we're going to miss Earl Thomas. He, you know, he gave a lot to this city on the field. I mean, Having that frame, that body, getting out of it what he got out of that body was impressive. And we'll always love him for that. And he's going to come here as a Baltimore Raven, as an opposing player this year. Isn't it funny how the world works? They come once every six years and it just happens to be. Of course. That's so sports, right? Happens to be the year after, after he leaves and everything and the finger and everything else. Okay, Ross Tucker, and then the floor is yours. Okay, Let's do it. Hotshot, I got a text from Jordan Flowers in the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage that projections are for rates to continue to drop the rest of the year. And while they're only projections, time for homeowners to save money is here. And to stand on the sidelines while others do so is just plain stupid. I continue to encourage all of our homeowners in the Mitch Unfiltered audience to take a look at your numbers. Better yet, pick up the phone and dial up Jordan Flowers or his team at Guild Mortgage of Kirkland, 425-250-3150. Cam Chancellor, KJ Wright. It doesn't take but five or ten minutes to find out if you should be looking into a refi. The answer will become pretty obvious one way or the other. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage has three top 1% brokers in the United States and that very office, including Jordan, honesty, expertise, making complicated situations very simple. Again, the phone number, 425-250-3150. Save some money with the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Unfiltered. Training camps heat up. NFL fans around the country still seem fed up with Roger Goodell's doling out of punishments for breach of conduct policy. Joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline and coming back to Mitch Unfiltered is Ross Tucker, a former NFL offensive lineman, great voice of football with all of his podcasts and an Ivy Leaguer. Ross, Tyreek Hill with his checkered past, heard by the world threatening the mother of his children, not punished. Jaron Reed of the Seahawks involved in an incident 20 months ago. Police don't arrest him, don't charge him. He gets a six-game suspension. We could go on and on. Uh, Your thoughts about the personal conduct policy and the way Roger Goodell and the NFL go about their business? Well, the one thing for sure that we know, Mitch, is that there's not a lot of transparency there. So it's really hard for me or anyone else to try to explain exactly what goes into the decisions when the NFL themselves don't really go ahead and explain it. That's the issue in my mind. There's a couple different ways you can look at it. On the one hand, you could have faith in the NFL and you could say, well, look, they have more information than we do. And they felt like there was evidence that Jaron had done it and there was no evidence that Tyreek had done it. So that's one way to look at it. Um, another way to look at it would be, it appears, whether it's Zeke Elliott or Jaron Reed, that if the victim actually communicates with the NFL, 
or the alleged victim Mm -hmm. that you're going to get six games. Whereas for Tyreek Hill, obviously the three-year-old boy wasn't going to communicate. And then the mother of the child refused on multiple occasions to talk to the NFL. And Tyreek Hill, as a result, got no discipline. So, you know, the the thing I think is dangerous about it, Mitch, is it really seems like if you want to make sure you don't face any discipline, you should make sure that the woman involved doesn't talk, doesn't talk to the NFL. Now, I don't know. If I'm paying attention, I'm a guy in one of these situations moving forward, maybe you pay the woman off. And I'm not suggesting people should do that. I'm just saying that almost feels like the precedent that the NFL has set. I am surprised that it feels like they gave Tyreek Hill the benefit of the doubt. We all know about his checkered past and his prior guilty plea. And then you combine that with even if we don't know what happened with the boy with the broken arm or the welts or whatever, we do know two things for a fact that are indisputable. Number one, the child is in child protective services. So they obviously are very concerned. Mm -hmm. Number two, the district attorney said he believes a crime was committed. And number three, we all heard the audio of Tyreek Hill very clearly threatening his, you know, fiance at the time. I don't know what their relationship is now. I would have thought that that was enough, Mitch. Yes. But my guess is that the NFL decided, well, that's not worth six games. And if we suspend him a game or two or three, it'll look like he did something wrong and that we're not going strong enough on. We're being light on. Whereas if we don't suspend him at all, if it's zero games, then it looks like, oh, well, they didn't have any evidence. Yeah, that's that's where your transparency thing comes in because I think the threat on audio, number three in your list of three, is is good enough considering where Tyreek Hill has been in his past to absolutely hand down some level of consequence. And perhaps if they were more transparent, they could say, okay, Tyreek Hill is being suspended for two games because of threatening his significant other, whatever it is. But they won't tell us anything, and therefore they're left, as you say, in between uh, the right thing and the wrong thing to do. Look, I, Ross, I'm, I'm here in the Pacific Northwest. I've read the police report on Jaron Reed. I believe if the police report is accurate, and there are police reports that aren't accurate, but in this case, if the police report is accurate on Jaron Reed, I believe two things. I think he should have been arrested by Washington law, and I think he should be. There should be a suspension. I, I just find, I don't know whether it should be six games or two games or four games. It seems that the commissioner's office has way too much latitude, non-transparency, and there needs to be some sort of criteria or guidelines so that we can get a handle on all of these different episodes. Is that something that's collectively bargained, or is that just a pipe dream that we have a little bit more structure to the personal conduct policy, Ross? Yeah, you know, what I don't know in these situations, Mitch, I really don't know what the issues are in terms of sensitivity and in terms of what they can and cannot say. Like, on the one hand, I think we all crave and and would love if the NFL was more transparent. Are there reasons why they're not because of the 
sensitive nature. You know, maybe they don't want to say, well, we think Jaron Reed actually punched the woman. We don't think Tyreek. I mean, maybe they just don't want to dive into the details because it makes the players and NFL players in general look even worse. Or maybe, Mitch, it's a situation where they don't want to be transparent because then that could subject themselves to even more criticism, right? Like they could say, well, Tyreek Hill didn't get any. I mean, I guess they said no evidence, but specifically as it relates to the threats or the fact that the child's with protective services, maybe they didn't want to say, we think it's the, we think it's the mother of the child that hit that. You know, maybe they don't want to say something like that. I, I, I don't know. I just think we all crave transparency, and there's got to be a way. Because what happens is, and you know this, Mitch, if you're not transparent, like they're not, people assume that it's motivated by money and the fact that people turn into the tube, the television, to watch Tyree kill more so than they do Jaron Reed. That's what people assume. I actually thought because of all the suspensions they had and Brady and Zeke, my take from the Tyree Kill thing was, you know what, the NFL just doesn't want to be in this business anymore. They're not going to be punishing guys unless these guys are punished in a court of law. And then the, the Monday afterwards, they yeah. suspend Jaron Reed. Right, so right, yeah. so I, I thought I had it figured out for like a weekend, Mitch. <laughs> Ross Tucker is the voice on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline, one of the real terrific voices of the NFL, Westwood One, and his series of podcasts. So what do you do, Ross, if you're the Chiefs now, you've got this incredibly explosive player on the field, maybe the most explosive player in the league. Unfortunately, he's also explosive off the field. He's at the end of a contract. He's got like one year left on his contract. If he's going to play football, the Chiefs want him to play in a in a Kansas City uniform. That's for sure. How do you go about your business of negotiating a long-term deal with the wild card of we don't know how he's going to behave off the field. Well, my guess is, and this is talking strictly biz, Mitch, my guess is they'll try to get him to take a below-market deal now, thinking that they have some leverage with this situation still kind of hanging over his head, and he'll feel fortunate to even get that opportunity and that he'll sign it. I think that's how an enterprising team would look at it from a strictly business standpoint. If he doesn't do that, then my guess is the team will wait and wait till after this season and then maybe even franchise tag him. If he's not willing to take a below market deals, and I'm not talking way below market, but slightly below market because of these transgressions, then if I'm the Chiefs and you have a chance to easily sit on his services for the next two years going year to year than I do that. Ross Tucker is the voice. Before you go, Ross, it's training camp week. All the training camps are up and about around the country. You're obviously got a, a real good keen eye on the National Football League. You're not allowed to answer this next question with the Cleveland Browns because everybody answers Cleveland Browns. What are the one or two training camps? What are the one or two situations that intrigue Ross Tucker the most as we get started here and we work our way towards the preseason? You know, I would say a couple. Um, I'm really interested to see the 49ers. You know, what happens is when a guy like Garoppolo gets hurt and they don't have as good of a year, it just seems like they kind of fall off and right. people forget about him. Right. 
And, you know, whereas there was so much hype and talk about them a year ago, now there's, there's very little. And I still think they have a chance to be pretty good if Garoppolo stays healthy. So that's number one. Number two, I'm also pretty interested in what ends up happening with the Minnesota Vikings. I still think they've got a lot of talent. I think they were hurt by a bunch of factors last year, including the uh, tragic death of Tony Sperano, their offensive line coach, which was by far their most important and biggest position of need right before the season. And so you combine those things, I think the Vikings have a chance to be really good. I think the 49ers have a chance to be pretty good. But the team I'm probably most interested in is the Steelers, just with getting rid of Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell. They're like the awesomest social experiment of, you know, culture versus talent. I can't wait to see it play out. Okay, one last one. Michael Thomas and uh, Melvin Gordon holding out. Obviously, running backs are in a really, really difficult situation these days in the NFL wanting top dollar. From Thomas's standpoint, he's got to be one of the most productive wide receivers in the NFL the last three or four years with Drew Brees. Are these guys just going through the motions you think of, we'll hold out, we'll hold out, we won't come to training camp, we'll show up with a, you know, at the beginning of the week before the first game and we'll play out our contracts, or do you think it's more than that in either case? Well, and I would throw Zeke into that. Evidently, yeah, Zeke didn't show plane. up on the plane. Right. You know, I think all these guys – are, are guessing that the teams really don't want to play games without them. And they're willing to roll that dice. You know, Drew Brees is 40. Do the Saints want to take a chance of missing Michael Thomas in games? They don't really have other good receivers that might hurt their playoff hopes in terms of seeding and having the number one advantage. Do the Cowboys really want to play games and what appears to be a darn good Cowboys team without Zeke Elliott. So I think those guys are trying to take advantage of that. Melvin Gordon feels the same way. I just think with Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson, he's probably got the worst argument and that the Chargers probably will go ahead and play games without him. I don't know if the Cowboys and the Saints will. Go to RossTucker.com to see all of the exciting things that Ross has his hands in. He's an Ivy Leaguer. He's a Princeton guy. He's an NFLer, an offensive lineman. He's really a terrific voice on Westwood One and the like. Ross, it's great to hear your voice again. Thanks for joining us again on Mitch Unfiltered, and I hope you'll uh, be with us from time to time during the, the upcoming NFL season. Appreciate it. Absolutely, Mitch. I was checking out the, the Apple podcast rankings, saw your podcast <laughs> up there. So congratulations. Keep doing good work. To be honest, Mitch, I was looking for mine, the fantasy feast uh, for fantasy, even money for gambling, and, of course, the Ross Tucker football podcast. But I saw I saw Mitch on so that I was happy for you, man. I remember when you started this thing. Thank you, Ross. It's great to hear your voice again. Thanks for doing it. All right. Take care. There he is, Ross Tucker, Westwood One Voice, and the line of football podcasts from Ross Tucker on the the inconsistencies of the NFL, the inconsistencies of Roger Goodell's personal conduct policy and consequences that have been doled out. What a weekend on the Monterey Peninsula. Golf at Pebble Beach and Spyglass, two of the greatest courses in the world. Hotel accommodations at the Lodge at Pebble Beach. 
Evergreen Golf Call sponsored both our March Madness Pool and the Unfiltered Majors, and Caleb Sampson outpicked everyone on his way to the grand prize trip of a lifetime thanks to Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest with headquarters here in Bellevue, but offices in Portland, San Francisco, the Napa Valley, managing and growing billions of dollars for clientele throughout the country and throughout the world. Tyler Hay leads the company, one of the 40 under 40 in the Puget Sound Business Journal. In fact, Evergreen Golf Call just started a podcast called The Evergreen Exchange. And guess who gets to interview Tyler this week? That's right, this guy right here. Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Okay, Ross Tucker has been heard from. The floor is yours. I prefer the conch. The conch. Yeah, the conch is mine. The conch Do you remember the conch? Is yours? No, I don't remember the conch. Lord of the Flies, I want to uh, say. See, I'm not a Lord of the Flies guy. Well, everyone had to read it at some point. I think I did, but I probably got the the, cl- the little yellow cliff. They still have cliff notes. Cliff notes. Yeah. The yellow things that you buy at the stores. I'm sure with the internet, you don't need to buy a little yellow booklets <laughs> anymore, but okay. <laughs> All right, so there's no ground rules. You're going to conduct an interview now. How many of these are your what? What? what a, give me the, give me your your prep work on this. Well, because I know how to pre- I, I prep for interviews. How did you prep for this? Yeah, interview? but I looked at this different than having a guy on for ten minutes or fifteen minutes, where you want to get in like four or five good questions, right? Yeah. I just want to talk to you about your life, how you started, where you grew up. I mean, I know where you grew up, but you know why you picked. Siri, you know, just kind of go through your okay. life a little bit. If, I'm are a little, you are I'm you a down? Little scared. I have to say that Twitter was very very active, and they sent me a ton of questions. Did you use them? Are you using them or not? I have a whole list of You're them. You're going to do the box room briefs thing? I'm going to pass on that one. Because okay, you told me it was a thong a while ago. So I've, <laughs> ever since then, I've just gone with that. Can you be both boxers and briefs? So if I just, yeah, sure you can. I actually, my old roommate used to do that, weirdly enough, in college. He used to wear both. Really? Yeah. And that's weird. At the same time? Same time. No, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean college? You said you didn't take the SATs or the ACTs. Well, you don't have to take the SATs to go to junior college. <laughs> oh, you you didn't say junior college. You said college. Community college. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. Okay, I'm ready. You ready to go? It's your show. Go ahead. Where'd you grow up? Hot no, Shot <laughs> so, Unfiltered. Actually, I'm going to rename it Enough About You with Hot Shot Scott. Let's okay. make it about me if that's cool. Okay. So you grew up in South Florida. Everybody knows that. Do, yeah, were you born there, born and raised? Yes, I was. Were you, are you going to take this seriously or are you just going to be yes or no the whole time? <laughs> what do you want? You, you asked me a yes or no question. Yes, I was. Yes, I was. I was born in Good Samaritan Hospital on April 11th, 1967. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I don't know. You cut me off. You want the bell? Here, re, here. every time I start to go too long, All ring right. the bell. So that people can hear and I'll stop. Too long. It's going to be a nonstop ringing of the bell here. <laughs> you just told me I gave you too, too short of an answer. Yes. April 11, 1967. The, the, the third son of Bob and Seal Levy. The youngest son. Uh, I have two older brothers, Jay and Sander Levy. You don't hear Sander very often. Yeah, you don't hear that name very no. often. Sander Van Oker was an ABC News correspondent. Sander, S-A-N-D-E-R, is the middle son there's uh, there's six and a half years between my my oldest brother and me, and five and a half years between the middle. And everybody who looks at us thinks I'm the oldest. I don't want to, I don't want to hear. It. I don't want to hear. It. What was your house like as a kid with three boys? Because I I grew up next to a house of three boys, and it was it was chaos. We were wrestling, we were jumping off. I mean, you know, boys are boys. Yeah. What was it like if I were to come over in like 1978 to stay the night? Did you guys Did you guys fight? Was everyone civil? The, well, uh, the issue was that the two older ones, Jay and Sander, were 13 mo- are 13 months apart. 
So they were killing each other sure. at all times. And I was six years. I was the baby. So you got out I of wasn't the fray close. a little oh, bit. I was completely out of the fray. Really? Completely out of the fray. Because, you know, in 1978, or I was whatever. a Okay, whatever. Yeah. 75, yeah. I was eight years old, and they were 14 and 15. So the little kid brother, I mean, I can beat this the Guys, shit out of the little kid brother. You know, but just pick but yes, on. Yes, it or... was a very competitive household. It was all about sports. And, uh, you know, this. the one thing I worried about doing this interview is that I, I, I get emotional a lot about a lot of different things. So I'm going to apologize in advance. But when I think about my youth mm-hmm. and I think about my mom who's still alive today, you've heard me talk a lot about my dad. When I think about my mom and the sacrifices she made, not the sacrifices like, oh boy, she made sacrifices. and Just because it was my father, real, real competitive lawyer, sports, everything was sports. She didn't have any care for sports. Had yeah. no desire, had no interest. I married and one I, of those. Okay. Yeah. But you had a daughter. Yes. She had three boys and a, and a husband who all they did was talk, breathe, <laughs> and she didn't give a shit about sports. Right. And all she did, when I think back upon oh, it, and I really, really, it's emotional. When I think back upon 15, 18 years of dinners every night where she sat there and really didn't participate and didn't have interest in the conversation. And then every day of her life drove her, her sons to sports, not caring, sat in bleachers, right. you know, one thing after the other. She really did. My mother, and I'm sure the people listening right now, somebody can understand this, and this kind of resonates with people. My mother gave, really sacrificed, didn't, didn't live her life. Yeah. My mother, Now, she would say to you today at 85, she'd say, ah, that's what I wanted. I wouldn't do it all over again. That's what I want. Maybe she'd say, but that's what parents do. That's what you do. I mean, I've, in those days, that's what you did. But even now, like I think about if my daughter had a dance recital every weekend, something I'm not interested in, I would still go. I'd still support. Yeah, but you work, you do your thing. You, she didn't do her thing. Her life was her kids. She, they didn't even get babysitters, Scott. They didn't even get baby. They. She refused to get a babysitter. She wanted the kids with her. She just never worked. She never did her thing. She never d- pursued her life's dreams and her goals. She would say, my life dreams with my three boys. I was going to ask you, have you ever that's talked to her about say. her life's dreams? And that's, she, it's a hard conversation to have, especially at this time of her life, but I, I think about it all the time. And her life goal was just to be a great mom and a great that's wife, it. And, that's it. and she nailed it, right? it's a different right? generation. It is a different, different generation. generation. Yeah. You're a, in ni- she was born in 1934. She's getting ready to celebrate her 85th birthday. We're going next in a couple weeks to L.A. to be with her on her 85th birthday. She would say, you know, that's that's what that's what women did. That's what wives and mothers did. They didn't care for themselves. Their job in this world, she would say, and it's not the way it is in 2019, and it shouldn't be that way. Our jobs were to make sure our husband and our kids were taken care of healthy sound she didn't let us do she didn't let us do anything we weren't allowed to touch the washer and dryer we weren't (laughs) allowed to touch the dishwasher it became a big issue in my life when i became married with kids because my my wife is not from a family like that same yeah my wife she's from a family where everybody chipped in my mother would not let it was like sacrilegious for your kids to do their laundry or your kid i didn't when i went to syracuse i didn't know how to do laundry I didn't know how to do a dishwasher. I didn't know how to start the a dishwasher. dishwasher. Yeah. I didn't know how to put the detergent. I didn't know. I knew nothing because she yeah. would never let us. But maybe she's just wired that way. Maybe if she was, if she went to work every day, she'd be sitting there going, ah, I kind of wish I was maybe. at home. So that's one way maybe. to look at it. Yeah. I think maybe yeah. she's just wired that way. Maybe. She just wanted to take care of you guys. Maybe. So your dad was a lawyer. I'm always curious. What kind of lawyer was he? Was he in courtrooms yelling at people? Yeah. 
He was a. Uh, 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 you're going to get me going here. He he was. I'm, a, I'm honestly not trying to. I was okay. just curious. Was he? He was the best lawyer that there. The, the, one of the best lawyers that you'd ever n- known. He he. I don't think he ever lost a case. Hmm. Uh, I think so he's a trial settled. lawyer. He was a trial lawyer, but no no criminal. Anything non-criminal. No criminal matters. Divorce. Oh, I see. Uh, okay. Civil matters. Gotcha. Uh, he was uh, he was by himself. He never was in a firm. He started his own business. Hmm. Real, real early when he became a young attorney, and he was always a, kind of a solo practitioner with an assistant with assistance. And he was—he took me to court one time, one day. I always wanted to go with him. Yeah. So he set up this day where he let me out of school, and I just sat in courtrooms. And he went from courtroom on different matters, depositions, and little, yeah. little, little proceedings. And he was just—I mean, I'd never seen anything like it. He was just beautiful. He was, he was he was enormous. He was an enormous figure. He'd walk into the courtroom. Everybody knew him. Everybody respected him. He was he was an enormous personality Did, in Palm Beach County. Was he tall? I remember him being tall too. No, Am yeah. I, well, it depends if you asked him. He was about six three, six yeah, three and I, a half. But he would tell you he was six one and a half. Why is that? It was shtick. Okay. Uh, he, right. he he just never agreed that he was six. He he had black hair. He would tell you he had dark brown hair. Okay. Uh, yeah, he was a, he was a tall guy. He was a basketball player when he was a kid. Uh, so your love of sports comes from, I mean, he was a sports guy. He loved it all as sports. much. You all, and your brothers, yeah, all the it same. It all comes from him. So did you ever, when you saw him in the courtroom doing his thing, did you ever get inspired to maybe yeah. do that? Yeah. He, I, want, he thought I would be a great attorney. Did he think that about his other kids? Did he ever put any pressure on any of you to do that? Or did he just say, you guys do what you do? Because I've always thought you have the kind of the mind to be an attorney. I think uh, you would could have been good at it. I don't remember him putting ever any pressure on me to do that. I don't remember. I wouldn't know with my brothers again. They were much older. Yeah, uh, but none of them went. He in always the law, wanted. Right? He always just wanted us to do what we wanted to do. But he didn't want. I I don't think he thought that the whole sports casting thing was a good idea. In fact, I know he didn't. Yeah, I think parents do that though. Parents worry about the yeah. you know the decision. Yeah, he didn't want me to go to life. Syracuse. He would become the biggest Syracuse sports fan ever. Even though he never went to Syracuse, he was an Ivy League guy. He thought he thought my decision to go to he did he did everything subtly, passive aggressively that he could do to get me not to choose Syracuse. <laughs> Is that right? I chose Syracuse because of an article. I was going to ask you how you chose Syracuse. Yeah, an article, 1980, um, 1984. I was a junior, or maybe it was nineteen eighty three. They call it at Syracuse the article. It was in Sports oh. Illustrated. It was a page in the back. And it was a just a one page article about how sportscasters go to Syracuse. They do. Turns out, that still, Bob Costas <laughs> went to Syracuse, and and Ted Koppel, not a sportscaster, went to yeah. Syracuse, and Dick Stockton went to Syracuse, and this guy went to Syracuse. And if you want to be a sportscaster, you got. And when I read that, I was in South Florida. I, I went home. I said, Dad, Mom, here, here's where I'm going to Syracuse. Right. And they said, Do you know where it is? <laughs> have you seen snow, son? And I said, I have absolutely. <laughs> is it in Mississippi? <laughs> And they said, no, 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 you you don't realize where this is. So you're gonna, in those days, you had to go on an interview. And Syracuse has this fancy schmancy broadcast school, the new out school of communication. So you had to go on an interview and you had to, I, who knows if I was going to get in. And they said, you're going for your interview in February. All right. They put me on a plane in my, in my windbreaker. No. <laughs> if you like it in February, you'll love it the rest one of, of the, the year. One of the subtle ways my, my, my dad, not my mom, she didn't care. She wanted me to go wherever I want. My dad just thought... This whole broadcasting thing, this is a novelty, and he's going to, in about three years, he's going to be at the wrong school because he's going to fall out in love with broadcasting, and then he's going to want a, a normal job, and he's going to be in the wrong place. He ought to go to Michigan. He wanted me to go to Michigan. 
He had to go to Northwest. He went to Penn. He wanted me to go to Penn. Yeah. But I just wanted to go to Syracuse. But when you say sports broadcasting, what, what did you have in your mind that you wanted to do? And what, what was it that he was worried about it? Because obviously he's seen Cosell. He, you know, he watched sports. Yeah. Did, did, did he think you wanted to do that? He just thought it was that? a novelty. Yeah, he knew. He knew. But not sports radio because that wasn't a thing. No, he didn't know anything right. about sports. But he, neither did I. And, and he just thought it was so hard. It was like show business. Okay. You have to be lucky rather Not than that it was going to go away, just the no, odds. He thought, no, he, he thought the odds, but he also thought that this is a 17-year-old kid telling me he wants to go Syracuse to be a sportscaster. Right, now I want to be He's going to be 19, <laughs> and he's going to become a lawyer, and then, he sh- and then he's going to be at Syracuse. He should be at Michigan or I Penn. See. When he wants to become a lawyer or a businessman, he wants to go to business school, he's going to be in the wrong place. Yeah. It's just, it's just a, it's a fad. It's a phase. He's going through a phase. And we laughed about that for 25 <laughs> years until he passed away. I was like, he was like, and he would say to me, come out and I had a nice running morning show. And he'd say, I'm telling you, this is, this is not, <laughs> this is not going to work. Still in that phase. Not huh? going to happen. I think about like Tony Hawk, the professional skateboarder. I wonder if his parents were like, ah, oh, skateboarding, Tony Hawk. He's like, <laughs> Tony Hawk's like the biggest skateboarder in the world. He's yeah. multimillionaire with video games and everything. I wonder if his parents were like, ah, oh, this ain't going to last. How about the guy that's making the millions and millions of dollars playing video games? What's his name? The, the Oh, Ninja. Ninja. Oh, another one. Great example. By the way, as an aside, sorry to, 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 no, go to ahead. In, interrupt. I was at U Village with the family uh, the other night and, uh, Big setup for Forza Motor Racing. It was sitting in the Microsoft store. Yeah, Forza Forza Motorsport or Forza Horizon. Do you remember? I'm just curious. No, I don't know. Motorsport. Gotcha. And they had a chair and a wheel. Yeah, it's a sim. Nobody, nobody was in there. (laughs) <laughs> is that right? <laughs> I need to go play it. I it's was fun. thinking maybe I should get in there. But you should. You should try it. I was going to take a picture for you. But, it's shockingly yeah. realistic. You would love it. But okay. this is not an ad for Forza. Okay. They do fine by themselves. Okay. Did you look at any other schools or yeah. or was Syracuse it? Penn, Michigan, Northwestern, but Boston University, Syracuse. For the communications or just? All for communications. Never, never wazoo, huh? <laughs> Wazoo's got... <laughs> Imagine what your life would be if you were a coog. I didn't even know where Washington was. Oh, you didn't know where Syracuse was. So you definitely don't no, know where Pullman know, is. Right? No, no. Uh, Brent Musburger went to Northwestern, so I sat in his chair when I went up and visited and did my interview. You had to interview for all these places. So explain the interview. So that's yeah, be- you go and you you interview with like somebody in the admissions department. It's part of the application. Process. It's part of the application. Yeah. I think now you write an essay or something. I don't. I mean, you have a you son. did that too. You did that too. <laughs> yeah. You had to interview too. <laughs> yes. So I had to run around and do interviews with all these places. It's so those. Expensive. Those, those, and Howard Stern went to Boston University. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, Musburger went to Northwestern. Michigan was just a really good school. Sure. Penn was because my brother and my father had gone there undergraduate. Um, where else did I say? That's pretty much it. Yeah. And Syracuse was the was the land of the stars of the sportscasters. Yeah, I mean so it still is. You could probably name ten more, or maybe five oh, more. A million of them. Right. It's, million. Of them. It feels like I I know four people who personally went there. It's a racket. <laughs> How so? It just got this repu- this huge reputation, and I don't, I don't know that I, I didn't go anywhere else, so I don't know how to compare. But, and it was a good, it was a good education. They got great facilities, great radio stations, TV facilities. They teach you even back then. I don't, I, I just think that there was a time, and probably still is a time, that you say Newhouse School of Communication on your resume, and it, oh, and there's so many of the Syracuse guys in hiring positions that they want their own. Oh, gotcha. And it just became this incestuous. Silly thing. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was curious if you looked anywhere else besides Syracuse. I just answered that. Yeah, you did answer yeah. that question. <laughs> but you were you were dead set on going, going there. If I get in, going to Syracuse. So when did you? Do you remember when you started playing and watching sports? And yeah. and, and I'm curious, did the two go oh, hand no. in hand? Were, were you the kid that just play, couldn't stop playing sports? I was. I was like, I just wanted to be what my brothers were and my father, and they were older, and they just played every sport. Yeah. And um, where where 
where we differed was very early in my life, I started doing imitations of ah. sportscasters. And I can remember when I became infatuated with, and when I understood that there was such a thing as sportscasting. It was in 1976. For people old enough, they remember the 1976 Summer Olympics. Howard Cosell calling the boxing. The Spinks brothers, John Tate, uh, Sugar, Ray, <laughs> Lennon, teaching the Cuban a boxing lesson. And, and th that team, that 1976 United States Olympic team, with Howard Cosell on the call, I was uh, nine years old. And I was like, uh, I started doing the, I walked around to, hello again, everybody. You know, the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would do the, this is how it goes. I do the Monday Night Football highlights. And then I found out about Marv Albert and I started doing Marv Albert, you know? <laughs> yeah. And he was a legendary. And then I started doing voices. So actors' voices. And so I wanted to play, but I wanted to be funny. And kind of we put it all together. And your brothers never had any desire to get into broadcasting. That was They were great athletes. They're great athletes in their own right. Uh, great. They were they were yeah. nice, uh, you know, high school athletes. Good solid great, athletes. You know, yeah. I mean, they were great athletes. Jeez, uh, but uh, yeah, they they very very soon thereafter knew we all knew we weren't going to be professional athletes. So I had to figure out a way to be around sports. Right. If I wasn't going to be able to make a living playing, maybe I could uh, do the uh, <laughs> do the how it right there. Did you play? Sports I love the Monday night. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, the original. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the New York Jets led by, you know, the whole thing. <laughs> the whole thing. I love it. And I heard Billy, the and, then, and then I, I once used to do Billy Crystal <laughs> doing Howard Cosell. Oh, that, that's uh, tough. I don't think I can do that anymore. And then he, he would, he was my favorite. He would do Muhammad Ali. Oh, he was great. I mean, he was great. Yeah. yeah. So in high, when you get into high school, did you play sports? Did you, did you play varsity sports? In high, oh, in high school. Yeah, in high school. Oh, yeah. I, I went to a small private school. I went to the Nicholas School. Jack. How many? <laughs> Jack Nicholas. Is it really called that? Well, no, they called it the Benjamin School, but it was all his doing. Oh. Jack Nicholas, the interesting, Jack Nicholas, none of these stories are interesting to anybody but me. But no, I'm interested. Jack Nicholas had uh, uh, four sons, uh, Jack, Steve. I think I knew that. Gary yeah. and Michael, and Nan was the daughter. Five kids. Jack was the oldest, Jack Jr., who caddied for him in 86 when he won the Masters. And we, were, we lived in a, in a city, in a town, right near each other, like a, a couple miles away from each other. He lived in an area that I wasn't allowed to live. <laughs> uh, and he, the public school district was kind of rough. Okay. So my brothers didn't go to the same school that I did. They went to public school. Oh, they did. That's yeah. interesting. My brother, Sander... Played basketball with Derek Harper. Do you remember Derek Harper? Of course. Yeah, Derek Harper and my brother played basketball together growing up. Derek Harper was great. He great was point the best, guard. one of the best players in the country his senior I year. I believe it. <laughs> he also played golf, and my my brother was not very good, so don't get there. With Mark Kalkovecchia, that might... I knew you had a connection there. Yeah. He, play, he went to the same high school, North Shore High School. Yeah. My brother Jay went to North Shore. And then Nicholas didn't want to send his kid to North Shore High School. It wasn't a, it wasn't apt. It wasn't good enough for a Nicholas boy. Okay. So he started funding this. There was a, a kindergarten through sixth grade private school that the Nicholas boys that I went to, the Nicholas boys went to. And then when he got to sixth, it was time to go to seventh. So Nicholas gave the money to go to, to make. So he had seventh. to build a new school. No, he made oh, the seventh, just, and then okay. he more money for the eighth and ninth. And so Jack Junior was the first grad. He just kept on. Yeah. And, and the Benjamin School was born. And Jack Jr. was the first graduating class. He's a little younger than my brothers, and he's older than me. And then we came up, and thanks to Jack, there was a there was a Benjamin. Two hundred and eighty kids, seven through two hundred and forty kids, seventh grade through senior year. Wow, is that right? I was yeah, just going to ask you when I went. So that's it was like thirty or forty a class. What was that like socially? 
<laughs> Slim pickings? Yeah. But you, uh, did you venture outside to the public school? I mean, you sort yeah, of made your way. Uh, yeah. What was yeah. a 17-year-old Mitch Levy like? Were you, were you good with the ladies? Were you, <laughs> were you home every weekend? No, I was, I was not good with the ladies. If I was 17-year-old... I was good with the ladies. I never was good with the ladies. Really? Nah, I never really but you always, But you had a bit of a mouthpiece. I mean, you could talk, I assume, at the time, yeah, right? My nose got in the way. Yeah, that's the thing I used to always hate. You want to know when when I had the big nose? Is that is that on the list? When did you (laughs) when did you notice she had a big nose, Mitch? Yeah, uh, birth. Um, (laughs) But I used to always hear that uh, you know girls back then they they like funny guys. No, they don't. They They like handsome, (laughs) handsome and athletic. So, what was high school like for you? Did you enjoy it? When you look back on, did you not enjoy it? I didn't know any different. I didn't know any different. What does that mean? I just didn't know what the public school system was like. I didn't know going to school with a lot of people was like until I got to. College was that eye opening? Very eye opening in a lot of ways. I was very, as I said, I was very sheltered. I was taken care of by my my folks. Um, my mother took care of me to almost a, a, an embarrassing extreme, and I wasn't ready. I, I I went to Cornell University summer school between my sophomore year of high school and my junior year of high school. Were you? And that was a savior. Were I you was, behind in a subject or just to get extra? No, I, it, was, it was good resume building, go to gotcha. an Ivy League school for summer school, high school program. But it also allowed me to go to a campus, get away from home, and find out what it's like to be somewhere other than a 280-kid school, from up a little private school. Yeah. So I started to adapt to the college environment when I went to summer school. So it sounds like a good move then. Ithaca, New York. Happy you Cornell. did it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, had a, I knew a kid that went to Cornell. You from, did? From Missaquah, Very Washington. smart. Very smart. Is that right? It'd be very smart to go to Cornell. Yeah. So when you're in college, not summer school. Yeah, the right. Main, that's different. Yeah. So when you're in college, were you gung ho about broadcasting the whole time, or was there? As soon time- as I walked on, there was an electricity about Syracuse and about kids that wanted to become sportscasters, and it was an awful, awful thing. There was a lot of stress and pressure. Wait, what was awful about it? What do you? Oh, mean? everybody. As soon as you walked on campus. There was this competition. Oh, okay. First guy I met was Mike Tarico. I've told this story before. Sure. Mike Tarico. When you go to Newhouse, you have what they call a peer advisor who has to take on three or four or five or six kids that are a year younger. They're sophomores typically, looking at incoming freshmen and teaching you the ropes. Here's where the station is. Here's the books you need. Here's the courses you need to register for. Right. Here's what you got to do at Newhouse. Mike Tarico was assigned to me. Would you be friendly with him now if you saw him? Would he remember you? You think he or no? would. Uh, he would remember me. Okay. All right. I know there me. was a thing. We won't have to get he, into that. He, he's, he would remember me. Um, I'm not sure that he ever liked me very much, and I'm not sure that I ever liked him very much. <laughs> but uh, maybe I was jealous. Probably jealous. He was the chosen one. Even Every back year, then? In, in, at Syracuse, when Costas was there, he was the chosen one. When Sean McDonough was there, he was the – he was the <laughs> – oh, stop. He was the chosen – whoever it was. <laughs> yeah. When I got there, Mike Tarico was going to be a star. Syracuse puts their – their their name behind one or two sportscasters that are coming through the ranks. And he and was they, one of them. Yes, he was Amazing. the right complexion. He was everything about Mike Tirico. He was smooth. He was smart. He wanted to be a sportscaster. And they went out and got him a job, helped him get a job. While he was a college student, he was the CBS weekend sportscaster. That was unheard of yeah. in Syracuse, which was like the 50th ranked market. He was going from school on weekends to the CBS affiliate and doing the news. I'll never forget the first time he ever did the news. I've told this story before. It was like the scene out of... Bro- did you ever see broadcast news? Long time ago. The Schwitzen. Oh, yeah. He didn't realize what he was going to be like <laughs> when he was on camera for the first time under the lights. Yeah. And they start showing him and they're going to, they're going to highlights coming back to him and it's just <laughs> pouring off of him. 
It's pouring off of him. So so when you got to Syracuse, you didn't look he around. He chosen and one. You didn't look around and say, these are my people. I belong here. All these media, yeah, radio, but he, TV yes, types. but it was very competitive. But I didn't think about the competitive Very part. competitive. Yeah. You had to be cleared to do a college broadcast of the football team. You had to go up into the corner of the Carrier Dome with a tape recorder and a friend. And, bro- and to get cleared, you had to keep doing games on a recorder to get the sports director to clear you to let you go on. It, there were, you'd go up to the Syracuse games and there's like 30 kids up there in the in the rafters trying to do a broadcast uh, and you want it and, and it was so cutthroat and competitive and so we, we had a pretty good there's a pretty good lot that came out of my generation when I say generation my era those four years there was Tarico some guys you would know you would know the name Ian Eagle Ian Eagle sure Ian yeah, Eagle yeah. was uh, was with me Syracuse and guy, now yeah. his son is um, is just got a big job I, I don't know that I'm allowed to say where it is but uh, he, he's graduating this year. His son's graduating this year, and there were th- there there was a several a good handful of guys in our air in those four years that have gone on to some really good success. Me not included. Did you do student radio? Did you do did it all? You you did it all. Did it all. And at the whole time you I were- did I did music too. Mitchell Reed. Mitchell Reed. They didn't want me using yeah, the same name. They didn't want me to use this. I was Mitch Levy on sports and uh-huh. Mitchell Reed, and no one really figured it out. <laughs> God, they really did care, didn't they? They were all over it then. So, so the whole time you know, we have to stop for a break at some point. So you just give me the the when I can stop, and we'll do it. All right, you want to do it? Is is this a good natural time? You're you're in charge. Yeah, I just I was just curious. So, but the whole time you're at Syracuse, and then we can sort of be done with Syracuse. Yeah. The whole time you're there, you're thinking I'm doing broadcasting. There was never a moment where you said right. what What am I doing here? Right. So I there's that so again. Uh, <laughs> between my freshman and sophomore years. So the big thing back then, I guess it still is, was internships. Mm-hmm. Can you get a big, illustrious internship? Ah, okay. And I got a big one at KJR. That was mine. A big, illustrious one at KJR. I said big and illustrious. <laughs> is, are those headphones working? Going to McDonald's to get you lunch. That was some internship. <laughs> uh, and so between my freshman and sophomore years, my two brothers both lived in New York. My, my, Sander became a, a, an investment banking guy. Yeah, went to got his MBA and became a Wall Street guy and a, you know a, a private equity guy. And Jay, at the time my oldest, was also in New York and he was going through some marketing programs. So they both were in New York. And I got an internship my first summer between freshman and sophomore years with the NBA Entertainment. It was called NBA Entertainment, hmm. which was the an NBA uh, an office of the NBA that did all the highlights. The NBA is fantastic. Yeah. Did all the highlights, did all the shows. It was called NBA Entertainment, and I, I thought that was the coolest thing. Yeah, that is cool. Uh, and I went there, and I, I logged NBA games and put together highlights. And, and happy to I do remember, it, right? The I first mean... thing I did in my off hours was I put together a, a, a video <laughs> montage of Derek Harper, my favorite <laughs> basketball player, because of my brother, right? Oh, and I, yeah. And all I need is a miracle. All I need is a miracle. Oh. And I had Derek Harper. So you knew how to do all that, video oh, editing? I learned how to do all it. That's great. It was great. It was that's, a great summer. That's the first thing I would have done if they would have let me in the in there, you I would have Derek Harper too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sander Levy highlights is what I'm looking for here, but no, I would have done it. Where's, where's my Sean Kemp or oh, whoever yeah. you know? It was so fun. Oh, that sounds awesome. So it's like my dream. That was my first, and, and I also that's the year that I also had a job job in New York for the summer. I had that job and I had the video store job, which is where the famous story took place of the Roddy Dangerfield story. Do you remember when there was... I don't think I know this story. Okay, so it's it's between 79th and 80th on 1st Avenue. And I get the... And this, my brother's living on 80th and 1st, so I'm, I'm, he's, I'm sharing his little apartment with him. I'm doing the NBA entertainment thing. Yeah. And to earn a few bucks, I get a job. And this little mom and pop, what I would call video 
rental store, movie rental okay. store. A little blockbuster. Little blockbuster. Yeah. Tiny. Okay. And they had these little places. And yeah. There was a window and it was a one sh- one person shop. So when I was in there, I was the only person working yeah. there. And we ha- and on Sundays in New York, yeah, you're not a New York guy. I don't know how many people. Sundays, it's unbelievable how Sunday mornings Manhattan just stops. There's nobody around. Oh, interesting. It's just it's like no place like it's like hmm. n- it's like a different place altogether. The city that never sleeps sleeps on Sundays. Sundays, Sunday mornings, you can, you can probably huh. rob a bank. Interesting. All right. And I worked on this one Sunday morning. I opened up at like nine or ten o'clock in the morning and opened up the video store and nobody around. And we have a little. I don't know if you picture this. We had a little the window out to the to the to the you street, know, yeah, to the street sidewalk. To the sidewalk. And I'm and I'm at the I'm at the counter with the the register and so forth doing whatever I'm doing by myself. And who comes walking by at 10 a.m. in his pajamas? And this is night. This is the summer of 1986. So he's big. Back to school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, easy money. He had his own Caddy comedy Shack. club, right? I mean, he had a oh, com- danger, danger fields. fields. Yeah. Who comes walking by? There's not a soul on the street. Not <laughs> one person. Right. And in his pajamas <laughs> comes Rodney Dangerfield, and he was my favorite. I did the imitate the whole yeah. And I just loved Rodney Dan. I get no respect. I tell and I said to myself, okay, think quick, think quick. What are you going to do? And right next to our video store was a one of these classic magazine newspaper stores from New York City. Can you picture those? Sure. All the magazines yep. and newspapers are out on the sidewalk. Newsstand. Newsstand. New stand. Yeah, yeah newsstand. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I got to do, do something. Yeah. I got to do this. my chance. <laughs> right. <laughs> he stops in his pajamas at the place next door, picks up the New York Daily News off of the, the thing. He's not buying it. He's, he's flipping through, puts his glasses on, yeah. his half glasses. Now he's in PJs and half glasses. Yeah. And I freaked out. And I, I knew I was the only one there, but I was going to do it. And I jumped and I had a, I got a piece of paper and a pen and I jumped out and I went, hey, Rodney. And he just went, <laughs> I scared the shit out of him. And he uh, he jumped. The paper went like flying. Like out of a and movie. I, and the paper I, and flies I, and He's the looking air. at me in my high guy. And I said, yeah. I'm so sorry to startle you, Mr. Dangerfield. I'm so yeah. sorry to startle you. Uh, I am your biggest fan. I am your biggest fan. Is there any chance that I can get an autograph? Okay, and he said, real quick, I have to interrupt you. Before you answer, I've heard he is a little prickly. And he's not a nice fella. So I'm just... He wasn't that day. That's my prediction. Okay. He wasn't that day. You asked for an autograph. He turns to me and he says, yeah, yeah, no problem. Hey, no problem. He said, come over here. And I, and I go over there and I hand him the pen and I, either a napkin or something. And he says, hey, uh, he, he writes to, he leaves a blank and puts comma, Rodney Danger. Hey, do me a favor. Put your name in there, will you please? <laughs> and I said... That's awesome. <laughs> I said, okay, thank you, Mr. Dave. I said, thank you very much. He said, okay, all right, no problem, no problem. And he puts the he puts the uh, the newspaper down, and he starts walking down the street, and I hear him like 500 steps later, yeah, no problem, okay, no problem, all right, no problem, okay, kid, no problem. He's still saying it. <laughs> like some, said, yeah. some kind of tick he has or well, something. No, it's just <laughs> like him. Yeah. Like you would like like it's you would say, okay, this is not an oh no problem. Okay, He's that all, right, guy. all right, all right, no problem. Okay, all right, no problem. <laughs> He's still saying it. You know, a block and a half down the street. How about that for stop right there, take a little break? All what right. do you say? Okay, let can I get a can I get a word in here? Please get your words in, yes. I'll try not to step on them. Go ahead. 
We'll get back to the interview of me in a moment. Hotshot NFL training camps are obviously underway. And before you know it, college football season will be here. And I've made a pact with Dan Black over at Zeke's Pizza that I'm going to watch Seahawks games, Huskies games when I can at some of the 17 locations of Zeke's Pizza across the Puget Sound area. We'll get that pizza bar going like we did at the Super Bowl party in Capitol Hill. I'm still digesting. We'll fire up some of those fun pools. We'll feature what I've been saying for a long time, and that's that Zeke's Pizza is a tremendously underrated place to enjoy sports, all while encountering some of the best pizza and craft beer selection that this area has to offer. There aren't words to describe my appreciation to everyone at Zeke's for being a part of this unfiltered show, and I'm so grateful to all of you who continue to support Zeke's because of their commitment to Mitch Unfiltered. Don't forget that Zeke's Pizza delivers. Zeke'sPizza.com, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Okay. Are you ready? And you were saying, sir. <laughs> you ready to get back to this? Yeah. So am what, I giving you? T- am I the answers to? I've never. I'm not used to being interviewed. So if I'm going too, am I going too long on no, the no, answers, I, telling I too many stories? I don't look at it as an interview. It's just a conversation about okay. your life. That's okay. just how I've sort okay. of looked at it. All right. So Go you, ahead. so you're you're working at the video store. You're in New York. You got the internship at at uh, the NBA. What's it called? NBA Films or NBA? It's called NBA Entertainment. Yeah. And then I did the video store. Then I went back to school for my sophomore year. And then the big break, I guess, when I look back upon it, one of my big breaks was. The NBC radio network and mutual broadcasting did a national internship search for summers for kids in their between their sophomore and junior years in college. Perfect. Back in those days. I don't know if they still do it. And it was a pretty prestigious program and people, kids from all over the country um, interviewed again, um, you know, submitted applications. And I really wanted to get when they were in New York internship. and I really wanted to get an intro. I wanted to get one of these internships. It was NBC TV, the net, the network, not the New York affiliate, NBC TV, NBC radio. They had promotions, advertising, uh, interns on air, interns, sports, news, weather, uh, today's show, tons and tons of interviews. Is this uh, like 30 interviews. rock? Like, le- yeah, yeah. Well, some of it was. Okay. And then the NBC radio wasn't it. They were down the street. So and what did you target, though? I, I don't remember if I targeted anything or I just said, I want an internship. I just want in. a sports I'll... internship. Okay, you want So I sports. probably walked in. I'll never forget. Uh, I wonder if my brother remembers this. I came in for the interview before my, my sophomore year was over, and Sander, my brother, my Wall Street brother, uh, I think I might have stayed with him for the interview, and he didn't like the shirt that I was wearing <laughs> for the interview. That sounds about right. I wonder right. if he remembers this. <laughs> you do, apparently. He didn't like... I, oh, yeah. He was, like, frantic to get me another shirt. Because I wasn't wearing... A, I was wearing a suit without a dress. The, 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 the shirt was kind of a button down it wasn't a dress shirt but it was like a button down shirt so in his mind not nice enough not, not nice enough. not that he didn't like the like, style I'm, just, like, I, like there's no chance it. he's, he's it, I'm, I'm, it's blown before i get gotcha. my first word out okay and i don't remember whether i just said forget it or whether he actually went and got me a he was just freaking <laughs> out yeah i can remember and he doesn't freak out very often uh so, and he'll never hear this because he doesn't listen to the show so uh <laughs> anyway as don rickles say anyway oh i love the anyway uh, anyway uh, anyway um, so you did this internship at NBC. You applied. My you went favorite for your Don Rickles story. <laughs> yeah. I give you my favorite Don Rickles story. Sure, I love it. I've said this one a million times. You ever you, met him? 
I went to see him perform, but I never met him. Ah, where'd you see him perform? Vegas a million times. Ah, I would love to see him. I missed it. A million? Well, it's not going to happen. No, it's not. <laughs> I'm a huge fan, though. I love him. Not, oh, he was in Stoquamie, for I must have sakes. saw him 10 or 12 times. He was in Stoquamie. It's 10 minutes Fantastic. from my house. I live in Stoquamie. Anyway, anyway. Uh, anyway uh, his, my favorite Don Rickles story <laughs> is the story that he told on... You can see this on Johnny Carson. You can find it. He tells a story about Sinatra. I'm sure I know it. Go on. I know every story about Sinatra and him. I love it. Okay. Well, it's Go the, ahead, fam- tell it's, it. it's the famous one, and I can't do justice. He, he tells the story of how he was opening up for Sinatra in Vegas in their early, early, early days. He was a young, struggling comedian. He was doing like, while Sinatra was in the main ballroom, he was doing shtick at like the little lounge. Yeah. And he was, after he did shtick, he was sitting at the, and he knew, and Sinatra took a liking to him, and he was sitting trying to score with a, with a woman. Yeah. At, you've heard this. Great. I love it. Should go I stop on. it? No, go and on. He's, it's and great. he's sitting at the table with the woman, and he's young, and he's trying to score with her. He's trying to impress her. And he notices that Sinatra has has come to the, to the bar and he's holding court at the bar with like yeah. his nice coat on. Everybody's making a big deal. And, and Rickle says to himself, this is my chance. Cause I know, I know, I know him. So he goes up, he says he's going to go to the bathroom. He goes up and talks to Sinatra and he says to Sinatra, Frank or Mr. Sinatra, you could help me close this deal right now. Right. <laughs> hey, what, what do you need, son? What do you, what, what do you, what do you, what could I do for you kid? And he said, could you just stop by on your way out and say hello? That's it. Say, hey, Don, or whatever it is. He said, oh, no problem, kid. No, but if I can do whatever I can do for you, kid. And he goes back, and he's d- d- drinking with the, w- the woman. She's like five feet taller than him and what have you. And as he tells the story, yeah. Sinatra comes over. He's on his way out. It's a big commotion. He's on his way out of the – and he stops. He says, Don, good to see you. Good to see you, Don. And, and Don interrupts – Rickles interrupts him and says – Cut it out, Frank. You see I'm busy? Now get out of here. Stop interrupting. <laughs> Can't you see I'm eating? Can't you see I'm eating? <laughs> That's so great. I love that. I love that story. Do you want to hear another quick one real yeah, quick? Yeah. So they're in the French Riviera, and all the women went to bed, and it's Don, it's uh, Jilly. I think his name was Jilly, Frank's guy, Okay. and Frank, and they're sitting up drinking vodka. There's a yeah. big bay window. It's beautiful, right. but there's a thunder lightning storm. Do you know this one? No. Lightning storm, and, and it's really, really bad, and you see the flash and the whole thing. Boom. Boom, boom. Frank looks over at Jilly and he says, Jilly, I want you and Don to go outside and tell those goddamn photographers to stop taking my picture. <laughs> so like, <laughs> like dummies, they were scared uh, to tell him he was wrong. They went yeah. outside anyway and did nothing. Just kind of <laughs> stood around in the rain in their tuxedos like idiots. I, I saw Sinatra three times. Oh, Sinatra is that right? performs three times. Once at the very end, which was really hard. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah teleprompter messing up notes messing up words uh, yeah not good I always think about going back to like 1962 in Vegas for just a week how fun would that be just hanging out with those guys you imagine Dean the, Martin uh, and Sammy Davis Jr. the stories just uh, Vegas, what Who Vegas can... must have been like you know yeah. my favorite Dean Martin line he said I saw a billboard that said drink Canada, Canada dry, dry yeah. I'm doing my part <laughs> <laughs> so great I love all that old humor you can actually you can see that exact uh, Sinatra tells that story the one you told yeah. to Johnny while Don's sitting on the couch okay. so you can find that on YouTube but you should yeah. you should go uh, they tell it much better than me it's hilarious yeah. so alright so we're at Syracuse yeah Things no, are, we're in, so I got the intern so got you the got intern. the NBC thing That's I got great. the and they, and they assigned me to NBC radio and that was the beginning of my career what'd you say about that were you like mm, I don't know want to do no 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 i wanted to do it you did it was great you said sports but you weren't sure if it was radio or tv no sports it was nbc radio sports okay and that's exactly what you wanted well i wanted tv everybody wanted tv back then sure 
And but they, I, they, I got one of the the prize internships. They, they put me to uh, to radio sports. I stayed in New York again, sophomore. Then they, I, I went again my junior year. They had me back, and then they hired me my junior year for the summer. NBC Great. Radio Sports, actual which then money, be, which yeah, okay. uh, which then became Mutual Broadcasting. Westwood One brought bought out NBC, moved it to DC, and 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 so I I was there my my between my sophomore, junior, junior and senior year. And then they hired me out of school to come do my first professional job, which was a 900 sports service. Is that right? It's true. Do you remember how much it paid? Yes. 30, I think I got $28,000 a year. But that's not bad at the time, right? I think they paid me 28000 in 19, this would be 1989. Hey, 1990 for your first job out of college when everybody else a didn't get a job or yeah. b went to sioux falls south dakota for 12 <laughs> for five dollars an hour right and had to do both everything else they they had me come and i don't know that it was exactly what i wanted to do but it was a chance for me not to have to go to the small town it was a chance for me to move to washington dc where i would meet my wife and uh i i was going to go work on this 900 sports service First of all, before we get by there, you'll you'll get a kick out of this. When I got the internship, going back, I'm I'm asking you to go back. Between my sophomore and junior years, when we got the internship, my first job, I thought it was the coolest effing thing in the world. My first job was what they called the sports feed. So NBC Radio was the radio network, and all of its affiliates around the country. They would do a special sports feed twice a day where they would send down highlights or audio or, or, or cuts down kind of a closed circuit only to NBC across the country. A network, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was just and, – and we would send down cuts okay. from the sports department, seven or eight sports cuts that NBC affiliates would then use gotcha. in their sports yep. cuts. That's the way it worked. I actually remember I was in charge those. Of oh, really? I was in charge – well, I was in charge on, on some level of yep. doing them. And Rich Bond, who hired me at the time, or I don't remember exactly. Yeah, I think it was Rich Bond. He said, okay, you're going to do these things. And I said, where do I get the audio? Where do I get the audio to send to these stations? He yeah. said, you got you to do the interviews. Oh, wow. You got to find, find audio. Well, it's got to be our original audio. That is a good question. And That's said, what I would have asked And too. I said to him, well, 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 okay. And I remember, and they said, okay, here's what you do. This is before sports radio. WFAN was just, in fact, the reason I got my job after my senior year, I know I'm skipping around, That's all right. was because WFAN in New York took a bunch of the NBC radio guys over to FAN and then ah, they needed to replace them. Gotcha. So I, here I am between my sophomore and junior years, I'll never forget this, asking what I got to send sound down, seven cuts. And then I, and I was thinking of it as a, an opportunity for me to work on my voice. You know, it's not going over the air. It's closed circuit for producers of radio stations just to record the sound. They don't care about the guy saying here, our next cut is right, Tommy right. Lasorda. And, <laughs> and it's 13 seconds long. And I, I was working on my delivery. I was, I was doing Marv. I was, right, doing right. I was trying to do comedy. And now for the Knicks. Anyway, Anyway, I, uh, uh, Rich Bond says to me, you know, the Dodgers are hot. This was like summer of 1987. Uh, why don't you call Tommy Lasorda or the Dodgers in their hotel room? They're in Cincinnati. This is a day and age before sports radio where you could just pick up the phone. Yeah. It was common knowledge where they stayed. They stayed under their own names and you just literally called. Crazy. Uh, last name Lasorda, first name Tom, please. Right, that's <laughs> the answers, right? right? And they and you had a list of where all that, and I could call, and I could tell you about some funny Amazing. conversations I had. 
that whole summer and the next summer gathering audio. And what I would do is I would call these guys and I would say, hey, my name is Mitch Levy. I'm with the NBC Radio Network in New York. And could I do a couple of uh, minutes of interview with you so I can send it down to our local stations? And almost all of them would say yes. This was before they were ever harassed by sports radio. So my first ever one was Tommy Lasorda. Is that right? Tommy Lasorda. Was that your choice? I called him in Cincinnati. Was that your choice? You said, no, I don't remember. Yeah. Rich Bond said, hey, call Tommy Go for the manager. I'm going to call Tommy. They're they're on a 10-game winning streak or whatever it was. I I call the Cincinnati like the the Marriott in Cincinnati. Lasorda, please. Can you spell that? (laughs) That's crazy. (laughs) L-A-S-O-R-D-A. And I call and they, okay, we'll connect you. And I, all of a sudden, I'm sweating bullets. Sure. I'm 19 or 20 years old. I'm in an internship and I'm about to start talking yeah. to Tommy freaking Lasorda. It's nerve wracking. I was there. I was there. It's totally nerve wracking. Hello. And I hear this big. <laughs> that sounds like it for some reason. <laughs> and I hear this big echo. Hello. Hello. Yeah. I hear he's kind of on the phone. I said, Mr. Lasorda, my name is Mitch Levy. I'm with the NBC Radio Network, and I, I'm wondering if I could uh, talk to you for a few minutes, record the interview, and send it down to our local affiliates. And he says, yeah, Mitch, do me a favor. Could you call me back in five minutes? I'm taking a shit. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> oh, I bet he took plenty back then, too. He was enormous. <laughs> Wow. And then you say, the first guy I ever called. Oh, my God. I hear this echo. The first guy I ever called. That sounds about right from him, though, right? Oh, my God. Him and Rickles, by the way, bring it full circle. Him and Rickles were like buddies. Probably. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yes, sir. No, no problem. No problem at all. (laughs) I'll call you back in five minutes. Are you sure you don't need more than five? I hung up the phone. I hung up the phone and I waited about eight. Yeah. I called him back and I was like, please don't hear the echo. Please don't hear the echo because the echo tells me he's in the bathroom. Right. And please pick up too, by the way. You don't know. I picked up. I do 10 minutes. He was the nicest guy in shoe, nicest guy in shoe leather, as my dad would say. Nicest guy in shoe leather. Really? Talked to me, t- talked my ear off for 10 or 12 minutes, and then I then you have to splice the tape. Oh, yeah. Which is, no, it's not digital. It's it's a grease pencil and the yep. razor blade and the tape, the reel-to-reel tape. I spliced it. I called some other people, and I get together my first ever uh, <laughs> down-the-line feed, sports feed, and I'm a, hi, this is Mitch Levy with your, it was more like, hi, this is Mitch Levy with <laughs> yeah. your first, with your sports feed of the day, August 12th. <laughs> Uh, 1987. Our first cut is Tommy Lasorda. And I wanted to say, who was taking a shit. <laughs> that would have been so great. <laughs> but just after that, here he is talking about talking Fernando Valenzuela. Yeah, Fernando Valenzuela. Yeah. And I, that's what I did all summer. I did. So, and I thought it was the coolest thing. I think that is a cool job, especially when you're right out of college, right? I mean, that's, that's a sweet job. The other job. memory that I have, do you remember the name Mark Gubiza? Okay, it's not important. Baseball? He was, he was a mar- yeah, he was a pitcher for okay. the Kansas City Royals. Yeah. He was the second guy to Brett Saberhagen. Saberhagen would win the Cy Young every other year on like even numbered years. Mm-hmm. Gubazo was the number two. He was like an all-star caliber pitcher, right-hander. Okay. And uh, Bond says to me, hey, why don't you call Gubazo? He's like on a seven-game win streak. So I call Gubazo. And this was at the very beginning of what they called rotisserie baseball. Yes. I remember hearing Not the fantasy. term. Yes, rotisserie. rotisserie baseball. Yeah. When I went to school, Howard Denneroff of uh, of now of Westwood One fame, <laughs> Howard Denneroff had a, put together the first ever 1985 rotisserie baseball where you bid on players. You had to use certain budgets, and yep. it was it was kept on paper. Oh no, yeah. And and <laughs> I had this particular summer Mark Gubaza on my team, and he was 
a crap sandwich the first half of the year. And this is like July. It's in the summer. And Bond says to me, why don't you call Mark Gubza? He's a great talker and Kansas City's doing well. I don't think he was doing particularly well, but he was doing all right. And so I called and he was on my team. And I called him. I, I called the place in wherever they were in Oakland. And uh, yeah, can I have the room for Gubiza? How do you spell that? Yeah, G U B I C Z A. Mark. Okay, I'll connect you. No aliases ever? No, no never. Nothing. Never. <laughs> God, it's funny. Okay, Gubiza answers the phone, and he's the nice. I say, I'm Mitch Levy. With a, Can I? And, and now I've gotten my ground on. Yeah. I've done a bunch of these things. It's middle of the summer. I'm, I'm really getting my groove on. Please tell me he wasn't going number two as well, or no? No. Okay, was, all right, all right. And I ask him, and we start doing the interview, and we end the interview, and I'm just feeling it now. I'm feeling it. Sure. And I turn to him, and I say, I got to tell you one thing before we go. <laughs> I got you on my rotisserie baseball team which was not well known back then which is a little bit yeah. it was just coming up. and i gotta tell you i i gotten some trade offers i i i'm not happy <laughs> were you were you kind of kidding around kind of kidding yeah, around yeah. but kind of serious yeah right he starts pleading with me mitch you gotta keep me you got you gotta keep me i'm gonna tell you why go back and look at my second half numbers my second half numbers are always but <laughs> he starts like he starts lobbying me right. to keep him on my fa- on my rotisserie <laughs> baseball team. What the hell's in it for him? And I said, like, he's like feeling the heat. I, I said, oh, okay, oh, okay. I was kind of joking, but okay, right. okay, I'll look at. He's no, no, seriously. I know I'm not pitching well right now, yeah. but I'm coming alive. I and I'm really, I'm always better after the All Star break. I'm always better. So I go back Amazing. and I, I get off the phone and I try to look up the numbers. No computer, not real computers in those days. Got to go look at the mag, and I find in like the the press. Guide of the Royals of 1987, second half numbers. Gubas is like one of the best pitchers in baseball. So he wasn't lying. I'm keeping him. He sucked a high hell. <laughs> Have you ever had him on your show to tell him that story? I think so since. Did you? I think probably on KJR. I used to work at KJR. That's right. That's how I know you. Yeah. Yeah. Used to work at KJR. So th- this. They, they, they fired me. This, uh, yeah. Well, get in line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you, buddy. But uh, it's better. They're, I, they're doing so well. The good news is I see the guy who fired me at basketball once a week. It's awesome. Yeah. That's not weird ever. <laughs> ah, that's cool. Box him out a little hard, you know. Oh, no. He's probably the same guy that fired me. I, uh, I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe over his head, though. Yeah. I don't know who we're talking about, but okay. Um, right. Color your shirt. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And I bring my Mitch unfiltered coffee <laughs> mug. I stick it on. Does there. he ever talk to you about no, the video? Do you yeah. guys talk at all? We keep. It's all very basketball. It's yeah. very. It's nothing. And, and and he's there to play basketball. I don't want to talk. I'm sure he doesn't want to talk work. Right. So I'm, I'm trying yeah. to be respectful. Yeah. And we don't. Yeah. No, we don't talk about anything. Yeah. yeah. Um. So this seems like a not like a very good plan by them. You just have to come up with the seven or eight people you have to call like for yeah, the day. Yeah, as I recall. Yeah, and they had some other things going on in the network, and so they would give me some sound. And but I just love. I had a great time. I did it for two years. Then they broke off from NBC. Westwood One bought Mutual, moved it to DC or the DC area. They started a 900. I don't know if it, there was probably yeah, explain nobody. Explain that to everybody. Well, uh, they just I decided 900, that the 900 number became a craze for certain certain things. Yes. And the NBC radio network, uh, when I was a senior, I guess it was 89, during that year, they were putting together. The first ever 900 sports phone where you had to pay every, and we would do they would do reports and scores and okay. you would call and you would press a button for game game results press one for game recap and stories press two and they hired 
three or four young sportscasters to be the void that we, we would get on the I would literally get on the phone and record these things all night God. all night I was the nighttime guy I was overnight yeah and I when games would end I would do I would do stories and it was like doing radio but doing doing like reporting but doing it on the phone yeah sure and I remember. people around the, and no one called Really? It flopped to high hell. It was the worst thing. But we did some quality work. Yeah. And we put and audio nobody heard in there. It. We put audio in there. Yeah. We did game Oof. stories. We did stories on golf. We did stories. And that's when, you probably heard me before, I was working overnights in the studio next to me at the Mutual Broadcasting Systems was Larry King. Oh, is that right? Doing his radio show. He'd come in at 10 o'clock after doing the CNN show. It would be at 9, 6 p.m. Uh-huh. Pacific. After he'd do the, the CNN show, he'd hurry in, and he would do a radio show from like 10 to 2 or 11 to 2, and I got to got to mingle with Larry King. You got That's to know when he bit. did. I got to know him, his producer, Chris Castleberry, and he did the radio show overnight. He'd yeah. fall asleep while guests were in his <laughs> – while he was in the middle of the show, he would like, snooze. <laughs> And smoking I, probably too in the studio. And he would see me, at, but and he he had a big keen interest in sports, liked to put a few dollars on it. And on Monday nights, he'd be running into our office. What's going on between the Redskins right. and the Giants? I got the hook. I got the three and a half. <laughs> I got the hook. I got the three and a half. <laughs> I gave the three and a half. And and then he'd go in. He'd have these long breaks, and I got to know the Chris Castleberry, who was his engineer producer, so forth. And I would go in there and watch him do the show. And he'd have some pretty big stars come in sure, overnight yeah, to King, his yeah. radio show, and he'd sit there. <laughs> and he'd close his eyes and during breaks they would sit there I remember he had I think Lonnie Anderson one day oh. yeah, I went in there to see Lonnie Anderson sure. and they'd uh, we'll be back on the mutual broadcasting systems and Lonnie's sitting there he'd get up he'd go lay down on the couch and take a snooze they'd do the news at the top of the hour Lonnie's just sitting there and he's he's, he's sleeping on the couch now you told me he would get like five minute naps in or he something he would get like five six minute nap he was so you tired you tried it you remember on the first week of the morning show you tried it you crawled up on the no, counter and tried to lay down for a few true. minutes so true that's not true absolutely and he would end the show and he had this thing this duke's blah, i think it was louis armstrong he'd play this song that was like eight minutes to end the show because he didn't want to go to the end of the show yeah. and he would put it on at like 52 and he lived in crystal city across the highway and he'd say he'd be in bed before the song ended <laughs> <laughs> i love and, that and then and then and then once and then and then one time chris castleberry had me in and he said hey larry's in a good mood. he was very moody okay larry was very moody. i'll tell you two stories about larry king very moody. So sometimes when he's in a good mood, he knew me. Hey, Mitch. Hey, what's going on the one night? And then when he was not in a good mood, like he pretended he didn't know me. So he's in a good mood one night, and, and Chris Castleberry says, hey, during the next break, let's get him. He's, he'll do you uh, an answer machine message. Sure. Outgoing message. Yeah. Outgoing that was message. a big thing. Yeah. And uh, yeah. We'll be back with Lonnie Anderson on a mutual broadcasting system. <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> Mitch, 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 Mitch Watson. Okay. Are you, are you rolling? And just Lonnie's sitting right there, or somebody's sitting yeah. right there. And it's like... Uh, Hey, this is Larry King. Mitch is not home right now, and I know you're asking the question, what connection do you, Larry King, and Mitch is my old friend and my old pal. Now, leave a message. Or he said, like, I'm in all the books. I'm Larry King. I'm in all the, yeah, it's the Larry King. I'm in all the books. Please, and I had that on my message machine forever. That's awesome. And then the other, the other story about, about Larry King was, and this was my parents for you, one of the summers while I was working at Mutual Broadcasting, and sometimes he knew me, sometimes he didn't, depending on his mood, uh, we decided to take a family trip to Los Angeles. The Levies did. Okay. We always took family trips. All five. All five. All right. And off to Los Angeles we went. My mom always liked Los Angeles. Hence, she's going there for 85th birthday next week. And we did. My dad decides. Okay, he's looking at he's looking at the uh, the little book, the guide where to go. Yeah. We're going to this place, Spago. <laughs> Spago. <laughs> I hear good things about it. <laughs> Some guy named. 
Dame Puck. Right. <laughs> we're going to Spago. All the stars hang out. We're going there. Let's go. We're going there. We're getting the we're getting everybody in the minivan and we're going to Spago. It's like Chevy Chase. All right. All right. We all get the in. Griswold's pile We're going to Spago. <laughs> and so we go to Spago and it's up in the hills, Hollywood Hills or wherever it was. I can picture it. We get there and there are paparazzi outside. There's people with cameras and there's you see photographs inside. What are we getting ourselves into? We go yeah. in there and... Sylvester Stallone was there, I believe. I think I don't think Schwarzenegger was in that time, but there were like three major stars. Right. In there. Are we talking like '87? This would have been no, no. This is after this is after I graduated, so it would have been in the '90, '91, '92, okay. somewhere in there. And we're there. The five of us are there, you know, with our cameras around our necks or something. I don't know. <laughs> Yokels. And uh, we're there, and there's stars out the kazoo. My mom's got her head on a swivel. Mm-hmm. She she loves that. Uh, put on your list. Ask me when Joan Rivers. Brought her up state on the stage oh, and embarrassed okay. her. Come right. on, put that on the list. Uh, Suzanne Summers once brought my dad on stage. Suzanne Summers brought my dad on stage. But anyway, I digress. We're in Spago, and who is sitting with like his fourth wife in the window while we're there? Larry King. Amazing. And you went up to him? And all my parents had heard is, oh, our son is in the studio next to Larry yeah. King. Larry, oh, did no. the, Larry did the machine for him. They knew the machine. And my dad's like, you got to go over. <laughs> right, you guys are friends. You got to go over. <laughs> uh, Larry's going to be upset. He's going to be disappointed. <laughs> if you don't go over, I, I, you're no son of mine if you don't go over. Right. Go over to Larry. It's Spago, God. I mean, for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> and I got you. I got, you know, and he's saying hello to, to, to Sylvester Stallone and right. all these stars. And you're going to go throw you yourself please, in. Are you going to go over between the appetizer and the main, before the main course goes? And my dad's like, harass me I gotta go over I don't want to Tad please I'm not going over there is Larry doing CNN at that time oh yeah he's huge huge. yeah yeah he's huge he's doing both yeah and I'm worried that okay he's done my machine he knows me he comes in during the but that's like in a little late night setting in an office and now we're in LA yeah will he a will he will he put the face with will 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 it dawn on him that it's me from Washington DC and b even if it does what kind of mood is Larry going to be in? Right. It could be embarrassing. Oh, God. And this was so... I, I'm getting... I'm sweating right now, not because of the heat of the room. <laughs> I'm sweating because I remember how nervous I was. Well, it's like... But it's like the first time you saw your teacher or your bus driver outside of school. It just kind of th- throws you off a bit. Yeah. Because you're only I'm used to seeing him But I'm also... Whole... But there's also, you know... I mean, he's a star and I'm just right, a yeah. schlep with a camera around my neck. <laughs> yeah. And we're at Spago's. And <laughs> uh, I said to my father, I finally say to him, that's it. I'm not going. Wow. My dad was quiet the rest of the night. He never got quiet. You're not going. You're looking at me and telling me you're not going. You know Larry King. He's an idol of yours. You love how he does interviews. You're going to let him sit over there, and you're not going to go see him. That's unbelievable. And I said, I'm not doing it. And so we we continue to eat. Everybody's a little quiet. Larry gets up to leave. Oh, boy. And he's got to walk right by. Uh Uh-huh. And I'm now worried my dad's going to do something. Right. Larry, <laughs> do you know my son? <laughs> this could be so this could be the most humiliating. Yes. This could be the end of my career right yeah, there. Right, 1990, 91, and Larry sees me, and I kind of make eye contact with him, and I kind of put my hand up sheepishly. Mitchie. Oh wow. He stops at the table. He stopped at the table. He said hello, and 
it was like he spoke to your family. He was I, you know, cordial. I, were they all there? Were my brothers? There? I think my brothers were there. He stopped at the he stopped at the table for a half a second. Yeah, or said hello or waved That's to me. That's nice hey, though. Mitchie. They remembered you. And that was he has a nickname for you for God's sakes, Mitchie. Uh, maybe he didn't say Mitchie. I don't know. I'm, I'm probably cool, I'm probably embellishing that part of the story. But he did he did acknowledge me. He knew who I was. He remembered me from DC. Who he probably great. had seen me like three nights earlier, two nights earlier. Yeah, yeah. And he would see me later. I just remember the Redskins. I mean, just remember Raul Allegri breaking his heart. <laughs> He had a lot of money. He must have had a lot of money on a Redskins-Giants game <laughs> when a Raul Allegre kicked a game-winning field goal for the Giants. Yeah. Oh, man, he was not a happy camper. I'm sure he probably saw you at Spago and thought, <laughs> wow, NBC's really paying these kids a lot of money. Good Lord. It's so know. weird to see you in Spago, uh, of all I places. Know. I don't know. So, so that's the story of, uh, yeah, that's, that's, the, uh, that's 1990-91 when I became – and then – the next chapter is the was, sports radio. Yeah, I was going to ask you, when does Tony Kornheiser come into your life? So nineteen. So I'm working at um, at Mutual Broadcasting. By this time, I've been demoted to a part-time guy. I don't even think I have a full-time, because the 900 thing has failed. Yeah. And so now I'm doing part-time work. I don't even have a full-time gig. And a, 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 a duo of billionaire brothers in Washington, D.C., named the Rails Brothers, by a... Um, a religious station that's got no rating, 0, 0.0, uh, a signal, and they decide they're going to they're gonna develop the first ever sports radio station in Washington, D.C. history. The first one. First one. And at this point, there's probably three or four. Uh, KJR was around. Uh, FAN was around, but very few. WIP maybe? Or... Uh, maybe. Yeah, okay. And they're going to, they're gonna, and it's going to be in Washington, D.C., and they start hiring people from my past. One of which is this guy, Rich Bond, who had me calling Tommy Lasorda. Yeah. He gets hired. and he, Hired in what capacity? As like the program, the first ever program director. Oh, amazing. And he hired me to start the stage. We had not gone on, and he he hired me. They they decided that they were going to do it big. They got the Redskins. They outbid the local station wow. for the Redskins broadcast. Yeah. We were going to be the Redskins station, and they're going to get big timers. James Brown from CBS JB. Yeah. Tony Kornheiser. You know, Kevin Kiley. And this guy, the coach. Huh? Had this guy, the coach, Kylie and the coach, which is another story, another funny story that we've told on the radio. Coaches actually come on and tell me about the counterfeit. You'll have to put that on your list, the counterfeit story. Uh, and they're going to put this dream team lineup together, and they're going to have the Redskins, and it's just going to, they're going to go, they're going to spend millions and millions of dollars on this local radio station with no antenna, with hardly any wattage. What was the and signal? Do you remember? The signal was terrible. Okay. Nobody could get it. Yeah. And they're going to hire these young guys to come in and do updates and voices and produce, one of which was going to be Mitch Levy, who was going to produce and help the midday block, 10 to 12, Tony Kornheiser, 12 to 3, James Brown. And maybe we can pick up the story. Yeah. In our next segment, because I know we're going to do this over two seconds. It's getting too long. All right, another quick timeout in our interview. When you match world-class quality with convenience, you have an unbeatable combination. If you work or live near downtown, the brand-new downtown Daniels at the Hyatt Regency is the perfect place for business meetings or special occasion events. Daniels Downtown Private Dining Room seats 88 for sit-down dinners, considerably more for casual events, what do you get at Daniel's Downtown Private Dining Rooms? Well, world-class quality, complete control of your budget, and no room 
charge. Have a business or client meeting where you need to impress? Daniel's Broiler has long been the choice of corporate Seattle. Special occasions like birthdays and anniversaries or special family events. Daniel's has a long history of making those events special. If you live or work near downtown, Daniel's Private Dining Room is the perfect blend of world-class quality and convenience. Take advantage. Downtown Daniel's Broiler at the new Hyatt Regency, a world-class steakhouse. But so they hired you to be a producer from 10 to 3, essentially, to do both those shows? Both those shows. Wow. And you should, and, 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 and put in your notes, I'll help you out, to remind me to tell the story of meeting those two guys for the first time on the same day before the station even was on air. Stressful. When Stressful you, and funny as all hell. When you got that job, though, I know we got to go, but when you got yeah. that job, were you hoping that you'd be on the air? Yeah. Or, or were you yeah. kind of happy with All I wanted to be this? was on the air. Okay. But I was impressed that I'm going to be working with JB and Tony Kornheiser, and I wanted to do voices, and I wanted to be funny, and I wanted to do updates. They said I was going to do – Andy Poland was, was the sports director. Rich Bond was the program director. They said they're going to let me do – they're going to let me do updates and let me be on the air a oh, okay. little bit here and there. Yeah. And I'm going to produce that block. And I'm also going to produce the three-hour Redskins pregame show on radio. Nice. Which Andy and some other uh, – I can't remember who – who was it, Doc? can't remember who it was. Andy was going to host, and I was going to, I was going to be responsible for the three hours, the last hour of which was on the Redskins radio network on every, every station. Yeah. And this was my big thing. I was going to do the – I was going to produce the Redskins uh, radio network pregame show. Working behind the scenes is it can be tough if you feel like you want to be on the air, but the only Very. but the only time that it's it sort of helps is if somebody who's on the air, you look at them and think, "I can't do that." That helps, right? I mean, you looked at JB and Tony and went, "Eh, maybe I'm not up to them." Or did you think you could do what they did? It's okay if you think that. I mean, I think we all have these visions of grandeur when we start out. I mean, did you did you really Do think? I have to answer that question. Well, but, but, but honestly, you had no experience uh, hosting a show. But yeah. you, but I'm just curious. You still thought you could crack a mic and do two hours, at least as well as they did. Different than they did. Okay. Similar, maybe to Tony. Completely different than JB. And those are there's a lot of stories right there. There's a lot of stories okay. of me getting into a fight with JB and him not talking to me for several weeks or a couple of weeks. It was a big fight over a guest. Um, I again, write we're, that getting, we're getting ahead of the story about the first time. I think you want to start with the first time that I ever met them, okay. and they told me what they wanted their shows to be about. It's very funny that first day I they came into the office one after the other, and this is months before we went on the air, yeah. and they were introduced to me, their producer, for the first time. And that me those meetings, I think we should pick up there. And <laughs> okay. then what happened on the air and the fight with JB over Barry Sanders and. <laughs> It was over uh, Barry Sanders. Yeah, oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. JB and I. Yeah. So this whole yeah. interview, this this hasn't been painful, right? It's been easy. It's fun, right? It's fun, fun right? Because you haven't asked me any hard questions. Well, yeah. I mean, well, you don't stop talking. First of all, but second of all, I don't. I don't hard questions. I mean, I'm just. I'm curious about your life and your trajectory and just kind of how things went. I'm more curious than trying to ask you a hard question. I mean, what did you think was going to happen? I don't know. Your first girlfriend? Do we want to get into that? Should we go back to high school? We can do that. I'm sorry. Or maybe you were 28. I don't know. You have to leave this house to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this has been fun, though. I'm interested. When you, but when you were living in D.C., I can't picture you. Were you living with roommates and all that? No. I just can't picture you ever like being the never roommate li- guy. Never lived with a roommate in, in D.C. But when you're working part-time, how'd you make ends meet? Did you get a little help from your... I mean, you know... Well, I got help from my my parents yeah, okay. when I was working part-time. But I was first... At first, I was making 30 grand. I, I yeah. went there making 30 grand, and that was enough to get a a little apartment yeah. in 1989 and I had a studio apartment across from where I worked. And then when I got the next job at 
at the radio sports radio station. I moved, and yeah, I always lived by myself. Yeah, yeah. What, what did your dad say when you got the the twenty eight or thirty thousand dollar your job? Was he like job well done, or was he like mm, you can do better? No, what was he his didn't, thoughts. He, no, he's just proud of me. Yeah, good. I mean, I don't think he ever we ever even discussed it. Okay, he just wanted to see the contract. What do you mean the contract? Well, there's a contract. There was a one page like letter of agreement when I got the deal. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, and he just wanted to make sure he wanted to see the contract, and he wanted to make sure that there was a clause in there that said you take a, a vacation with your family every summer. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> Had on. to be in the contract. Really? Yeah. Did you have it? Dad, added? I have no leverage. <laughs> I'm I'm 22 years old. Right. They'll find someone off the street. Are to come you sweating to it. right now? I'm a little warm. Yeah. I'm I soaked. I thought it was my malaria coming back again, but I guess <laughs> it's just put this the room. fan on. <laughs> Well, this has been great. I can't wait to do part two. I, I am enjoying it. I hope you are too. Hope it's not painful for it's you. It's not painful. It's fun. Good. I think it's am fun. I talk, I'm talking too much. You no, say. you're not. You're an easy guest. If you were like a guest on the show, I would just hit on and there you go. You roll. Let them go. Yeah, I love it. I love the stories though. Because I don't I don't really know you like that. I don't know you from back then. So it's interesting to hear that you lived in a dorm and you know that you made 28 grand a year. When I first uh, got hired at KJR as your board op in the morning, do you know what I made? As your full-time board op. This is what they offered me, and I took it because I was like, eh, I'll take it. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to ask. <laughs> you should be. This was what year? 1996. We're going to mornings. Big morning show. The new hot guy in town, Mitch Levy. I'm going to be his board op every day. I, got, May, I have health insurance. May 15th, 1996, I think was the first show. All right. 18500 a year to run the board for the Mitch in the morning show. And I took it. I, t- I didn't have to take it, but I took oh, it. Oh, God. But hey, I had health insurance for the first time. Well, you time. know why I don't really feel that bad? Because <laughs> yeah. I because I was at fourteen five. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. So, are we going to name this Kakamami show? We never named it, did we? So, do we need to do another segment? Where are we now? We yeah. did two segments. This is usually like the end of the show, like the last. But segment. are we at the end of the show? I, so we did one segment, and then Ross Tucker, and then. One, two, three. So we did two segments on this. Okay, yes. We we need to end the show. Yeah. Episode 50. I know who I want. I know who you want, too. Who? Singletary. Opposite. You want David Robinson? I do want David Robinson. Singletary still has a little 49er stink on him, even though he was great. You know, remember he coached at the 49ers. He was terrible. What do you mean does it count? It's part of his career. He was a bad coach. He was a great linebacker. He was very, very good, but he did have a nice crew around he him. He always seemed like he had a Jolly Rancher in his mouth. <laughs> Where? What, what part of his mouth? Go look at his <laughs> his, right. his 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 post game remark. He, yeah. <laughs> he always sounded like he was sucking on a on a hard piece of hard candy, a lemon lime or something. Is he coaching? Is he still coaching? He, somewhere? I think, was coaching in that in that New Heisel League, that uh, Alliance oh. of American Football. What happened to that? I forgot about that. I forgot how that thing came and went. Uh, so if I have to vote, it's David Robinson. I loved him. He's right in my wheelhouse. I absolutely love the guy. I loved his shoes, those big high tops with the pump. And he yeah. did, he rolled the socks down, the double roll. Yeah. I love David Robinson. Great guy. Seems like okay. a nice fella. You want to do it? Where's that? You got a, You got the bell. Oh, yeah. Now let the bell. Let the bell. <laughs> Wait, it's my first bell I ever rang here. <laughs> Go ahead. Are we good? Yeah. All right. Episode. I talk too much. No, no, it's great. Now I'm you don't feeling. Talk too much. It's what you do. Self-conscious. What, you, you don't think I've ever heard I talk too much? I mean, it's what we do. All right, episode the Admiral David Robinson number fifty is in the books. No. That no. Good enough. 
in the books. First of all, you got yeah, the, the words were good. You got to bring the bell up closer to the mic. Oh, okay. And give it a couple of dun dun dun. Oh, I thought you did one. Uh, dun dun dun, and just let it ring out. Yeah. Let it let it simmer. Apparently, it's my first bell I've ever rung. <laughs> <laughs> all right, episode the Admiral David Robinson number fifty is in the books. <laughs>